Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. It is late November 2014, and I hope you're having a great night. And I hope that should you be listening to this live, baby, live, or if you are listening to it later, that we help you have an even better night, morning, nooner, mid-afternoon siesta, or whatever you're doing with philosophy in your life as it stands. Mike, who do we have on first? All right. Up first today is Brett. Brett wrote in and said, should it be a crime to use force against someone who is hurting an animal? Is it immoral of me to forcibly intervene in an act of animal cruelty? Hmm. Very interesting question. What do you think? Um, great to finally get to speak to you. I'm very well, excited thanks. about let's, that. Let's hope it stays great <laughs> for, for both of our sakes. But no, that's nice to hear. So, so my question was – I kind of um, prepared a, a question which is a bit longer than that. But um, it's pretty much in essence what I was going to ask. Um, so it's a question that I've been struggling to answer for quite a long time. Um, and I haven't really made much progress with it. Hang on. Have you ever encountered this situation in your life? Have I? How do you mean? Well, have you ever seen someone who's currently in the act of being cruel to an animal and had some sort of weapon or uh, some sort of impulse to do something about it? Yeah, I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube. And, uh... No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Porn is not sex and watching is not the same as doing. Um, so what I'm saying is in your life, have you encountered a situation? I'm not trying to dismiss the question. I'm just yeah. asking uh, in general. So in your life. Have you been in a situation where you have the capacity and willingness to use force and you are in the presence of someone whose behavior you can affect, who is, as you are looking and mulling in the process of harming an animal? I have not been in that situation, no. You know what the next question is, right? Is it an important question? (laughs) Uh, Look, I think theoretically it's an important question. But yeah. you sound, just based on what you were telling me, you sound like this has really consumed some cycles for you, right? <laughs> and my question is why? And I'm, look, you may have a fantastic reason. Hmm. I just want to understand if we're dealing purely in the realm of theory or if there's some reason why this has become uh, so important to you. It's purely in the realm of theory. It's because I'm um, a, li- a libertarian and uh-huh. – um, I think having a having a view of having the view of, of a libertarian, um, it's kind of you, you want to pre- you have to prepare a lot of answers, and people will challenge you to have the answers to everything when you when you try and express your ideas. Um, and so and I, one of the one of the answers is consistencies in but my. No, but hang on, hang on. Like I get, of course. I mean, there's six billion infinite. You know, six billion times infinity questions of how is this handled in a libertarian society? Yeah. How are these ethics handled? How are these situations handled? And so on, right? Mm. And I guess my question is, what's wrong with not having an answer for you? Well, because I really enjoy uh, thinking about ethics and trying to um, construct an idea in my head of a um, of an ideal. living situation within a community and how that would function Um, and this is one of the few questions that I I struggle to answer so that's kind of why it's important to me because I enjoy it 
But it, in terms of practical uses, I probably won't ever <laughs> have a practical use for it. Okay, just just so we're clear on that, that the the scale of the scale of importance it's not that high. Not not because we shouldn't be nice to animals. Of course we should, right? But because you know, compared to something like, do you know someone who spanks or yells at their child? Mm. And people will say, yeah, probably, right? Yes, I do. And that's something that people can do something about and should, right? So just about everyone in the world knows somebody who yells at, spanks, punishes, confines, puts in a naughty corner, uh, and so on, uh, gives a time out to a child. And that's something you can do something about. and, And so, you know, my question, just I'm happy to explore this question, but... Just in general, mm. I, I I rely upon in general. Sorry, I'm saying in general again. <laughs> I rely upon. Is it actionable? Is it common? In in terms of the hierarchy of what's important to talk about in terms of ethics, sure, it's actionable. If you see someone doing something cruel to an animal, you can say or do something about it. Is it common? Well, no. I've gone my whole life. I've never seen anyone directly where I can do something about it, seen anyone directly. It's sort of like how do libertarian societies handle meteor strikes in major metropolitan areas? It's like, okay, (laughs) you all fuss with that stuff. I'm going to try and get people to stop yelling at and hitting their children, which is something that is very common and very, very actionable for people, right? Yeah. Okay, so and, – and the reason I'm saying that is just so when you get pinned to the wall with all of these never going to happen, couldn't ever change anyone's behavior and you know, – I think it's important to go back to proportionality. So if you were asking me this question and you were like not a listener and not a friend or whatever, then uh, I, I might say, so is your concern cruelty to helpless animals, right? Well, yeah. Okay, so what's more common, animal cruelty or spanking and yelling at kids? Well, spanking and yelling at kids is more common. And then I'd say, well, given that that's far more common, shouldn't we be discussing that? And I just, right. I just, I mean, just just give you that option when it comes to talking to people. Always try to reorient them, if you can, back towards common and actionable if that makes sense. Because otherwise, the, the concern is you burn up a lot of cycles dealing with the unactionable or inconsequential. And by inconsequential, I don't mean like unimportant morally. I just mean not going to change your behavior because you're most likely never going to see it, right? Yeah. And my concern then is if people keep hitting you with these inconsequential and unactionable moral issues, then you're going to run off and, and work on them. Mm. And what have they done? They've effectively neutered you in the realm of actionable ethics. Does that make sense? I agree with that, yes. Uh, but I do think it has some relevance in, our, in the world we live in today because uh, – uh, uh, No, I'm already oh. annoyed. I'm already annoyed. Oh, no. <laughs> Did I say it has no relevance? Um, no. No, so don't tell me it has some relevance. I didn't say it has no relevance. <laughs> okay. Right. So if I say, well, you know, it's not quite as important. Okay. So if you get to the third highest peak 
it's not as high as going for the highest peak. And you say, well, but it's still above sea level. It's like, yes, I know. <laughs> I haven't denied that. I agree with you that it's not, it's not unimportant. I just want to reorient you outside of this conversation with people to say, listen, uh, if cruelty or, or harm against helpless animals is your issue, then baby, toddler, and child abuse should be first on your list mm. for two reasons. One is that it's common and it's actionable. And two is that if you want cruelty to animals to diminish in this world, what do you first need to do? You need to diminish cruelty to children because it's children who are treated cruelly who grow up and sometimes even while they're children are cruel to animals, right? Mm, the, 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 the correlation between cruelty to animals and child abuse is so strong and so causal that anyone who wants to deal with the problem of abuse against animals who is unwilling or unable to deal or are just unwilling to deal with the problem of child abuse is not really interested in solving the problem. I'm not putting you in that category. I'm just saying that if you deal with cruelty against children – then you deal with just about every other social ill, except for the aforementioned comets hitting major, major metropolises. You've, de you've dealt with just about every social ill. Okay. Okay, so that, that appreciate you letting me have that, <laughs> that little rant, and, and now I'm certainly happy to try and tackle the issue. I mean, you've obviously spent some time thinking about it. What are your thoughts? Well, um, I think that it's... I think that it's... Um, an innate human response to want to protect animals from abuse. Um, so I don't think that we can um, condemn anyone for doing that. And I don't think somebody that does that would be a particular threat in society that would need either punishing or we'd need protection from. But on the other hand, um, excuse me, I'm just checking my notes. <laughs> So, so is it okay to use force to stop someone hurting an animal? It, but the way I see it is, if the answer is yes, then it would obligate us to construct extremely complex and convoluted laws as we would have to set guidelines for farmers, animal breeders, and pet owners. And these laws are going to be very hard to agree on and cause a lot of controversy within the farming industry. And... Um, but if the answer is no, it's not okay to use force to protect animals against abuse, then it would mean that anyone who did use force to prevent animal abuse, say, for instance, a man restraining another man who was beating a dog, would have to deem that man's actions as immoral. But should we judge that person as having done wrong in that situation... Is it not a completely natural response for humans to want to protect other animals and to stop abuse when we see it? We all agree that if it was a human that was being beaten, then it would be justifiable to use force to stop the attack. But should we not extend that to animals? Can we condemn someone for using force in order to stop animal abuse? So that's as far as I've got. Right. So not conclusive, uh, which, which is tough to do in, in these situations, of course, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's th – there's a continuum here. I think we have to grant that. For instance, I don't, get a shoot, I don't get to shoot a child who's about to step on a ladybug, right? Yes. 
I mean, I think that we can understand that. I, I'm allowed to slap a mosquito, I assume. Yeah, sure. I am allowed to destroy a wasp nest that is being built over my baby's crib yeah. or something like that. I mean, <laughs> we are allowed to use, you know, hopefully organically friendly pesticides to get rid of pests that would otherwise eat our food. I'm allowed to deny my milk to bacteria by putting it in the fridge. Mm. I'm allowed to take antibiotics and kill bacteria within my system that is that is doing me harm, right? Yeah. So I think in, in any contest between human and animal, you know, call me speciesist, I, I come down on the side of the two-legged. You know, two legs good, not so much with the other legs, right? So if, if a man shoots a tiger that is mauling him, I don't think that many of us would say, bad, bad man. You Absol know, that absolutely, that's true. But in all those examples, the, the person is protecting themselves against the animal. How about no, if somebody no, was... no, 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 because I talked about a child who is uh, stepping on a ladybug as well. Yeah, but the that's... child is not is not protecting herself from the ladybug, right? True, but that's that's um, in the realms of somebody just going about their life. That's you know, unavoidable. But how about somebody that's deliberately? No, going no, no. What if the child is no? What if the child is is, is looking and trying to step on the um, the ladybug? Like consciously willing. Well, what, if if your if your daughter was doing that, what would you stop her? Or would you let her continue? I would attempt to stop her verbally. I, I would not feel comfortable grabbing her and pulling her away. And and she would. I mean, she'd never do anything like that. I mean, she she's actually I, she's never injured an animal to my knowledge or to her knowledge uh, her whole life. So like, this is sort of part of you know treat kids well and they'll mm. protect fiercely uh, uh, animals and so on. So. So I just sort of want to point out – so self-defense in the realm of animals is, is obviously completely fine. Yeah. Um, if – let's say if a man is starving and an animal is the only thing he can eat, I find hard to condemn him to death rather than have him eat the animal. Just to, you know, to put an artificial situation in. Mm. I mean if, if a man is starving and there's only a, a, another person he can eat, you know, that's – I remember when I was a kid reading this story – about um, guys who whose plane crashed in the Andes and they ended up having to eat the dead passengers. Now, I yeah. mean, obviously that's pretty tragic, but cannibalism uh, not not so good, right? And cannibalism to me has a different kind of flavor from eating a salmon or a whatever, right? Mm. It has a different flavors, probably <laughs> the wrong way of putting it. But uh, so, and I've sort of made the case for animal rights uh, or, or the relative rights of animals to people in other places. So, um, so. Obviously, between humans and animals, and, and if people got to eat, I'm on the side of human beings. Uh, I think that animals, if they're going to be eaten, should live as free as possible and then be killed as humanely as possible and uh, so on. But I think if you, what you're talking about is someone who owns a dog is, is beating the dog you know, yeah. with a stick, lashing the dog with a stick and so on. Well, that is horrible. And, and that is that makes my blood boil, you know, just from an emotional standpoint. I just yeah. find that I just find that hideous, uh, just uh, unbelievably which, cruel which and so, sorry, yeah, so vicious on. and so cowardly and so bullying mm. because it's not really unless it's Danny DeVito and uh, it's a great Dane. It's just not really a fair fight. So I think that um, I would be willing to use and I think that you could justify the use of force to prevent someone 
from harming an animal, but I would not raise it to the level of lethal force. Right. right? So th this is, and, and this is a question of proportionality, which for, for which is a gray area. And I'm just going to give you my thoughts. This would be worked out in a free society over time and would become very quickly a non-issue as children were treated better and better. But for instance, if a little boy – like when I was a kid, I stole a candy bar from uh, a store. And would, would the store owner have been justified in shooting me if he saw me leaving and I didn't stop when he called me to stop? You know, let's say he's some old guy who can't run. He calls at me to stop and he sees me. Is he allowed to take a shotgun out and blow me away? No. It's a candy bar, right? And I'm a kid. So the there is. Thing there is that you're a child. Well, I don't know that it's that important. I mean, if, if a homeless adult is stealing a candy bar, do you get to shoot him too? I yeah, wouldn't I feel comfortable so. with that. No, I don't. I, really? Shooting someone over a candy bar? Do you think that's a bit of a. Heavy hand? Because I think it's either it is it either is or isn't a moral to protect your property by any means you feel necessary. So if it and I think it isn't immoral to protect your property by any oh, means. Oh no, necessary. come on, come on. Look, if, if somebody somebody takes a shortcut across your property, technically they're trespassing, do you get to shoot them? Well, I mean I wouldn't, but I I I, I don't think it's immoral not to. Sorry, I, don't I think, think it's kind moral. of immoral not I to. I mean, if, if I, I think it's kind of immoral not to. Because you have to draw uh, a distinction between is it immoral or not. And if you, you, you can't say... No, yeah, no, it's, no, no, no. But, it is but just because... Hang on, hang on. Just because something's immoral doesn't mean that the death penalty can be invoked. Right? I mean, lying about something important could be considered immoral. If I, if I underpay you by, by a penny... That's immoral, but not to the point where you then get to shoot people, right? Well, if somebody's in your, in your garden at nighttime and you feel threatened, so you get your gun out and shoot him, who am I to say that what you've done is um, over-excessive? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely someone to say that that's over-excessive. Oh he's God. on your property. Absolutely. No, listen, listen. The guy, the guy – the guy could have taken bad medication and could be disoriented. He might have dementia. He might be drunk. He might be thinking he's in the right house, but he's in the wrong house. I mean, there could be six million, quote, guilty or innocent explanations as to why someone could be in your backyard. They might have just been kidnapped and released and they're disoriented. They might be blindfolded. They might, like, who knows, right? They might have had a head injury. That, like, you can't just go shooting people in your backyard. Uh, I, I disagree with you. I think if you own a piece of land and anyone comes on that land, then you have the right to protect it any way you see fit. And although I would wait, wait, somebody, wait, you said protect it. What do you mean protect it? Uh, protect your land. But the person in your backyard is not damaging your land. Well, m maybe you've just planted some flowers. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe. Uh, oh, seriously, you're not shooting people because they might be stepping on your flowers, right? I mean, you got to understand at some point this is going to get absurd, right? I just think that you have to make a distinction. You you can't just make you can't just have all these convoluted these convoluted ideas that this is okay and this isn't. It either wait 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 hang on hang on. Why are you calling my ideas convoluted? That seems like an insult to me. Well, I, well it's, no, it's not insult. I'm just saying that you're it's kind of. It's not a compliment. <laughs> you, it kind of it's seems a negative, like you're saying say. 
this is okay, but that's not okay. And in in this situation, there's going to be all these different rules about what you can do. And I think it just has to be clear cut. It's either it's either right or wrong. And somebody either has no, the right. No, it's not clear cut though. This is what you don't, don't understand. There's no there's there's no god of ethics, Brett. There's no god of ethics. Let's say I feel like shooting someone, right? Mm. And I see someone passing by the street, and, and, and there's nobody else around, let's just say, right? There's nobody mm. else around. Somebody's passing by my street, and I say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. Could, could you help me for just a second? I really appreciate it. My cat is stuck up the tree, or whatever it is, right? I, I, and, and then they come onto my property, right? Mm. And then I shoot them. <laughs> And I say, they came on my property. Nobody can say that, right? Who, who could disprove me? Yeah, but you invited him on. But who can disprove me? Nobody. Like, you know, think of it. There's, there's no God of ethics. There is only what we can prove and what we cannot prove. Mm, okay. Right? So the Michael Brown, Darren Wilson interaction was 90 seconds long. Right from him saying to him, uh, Michael Brown and his friend, get off the street, uh, walk on the sidewalk, to Michael Brown being dead, 90 seconds. There were many eyewitnesses. There was some cell phone footage after the fact. Hmm. And it still took three months to even get an approximation of what happened, which is still highly contentious, even with eyewitnesses, Right. Right. Same thing with Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, right? Just to take two of sort of the most obvious cases. There was a white guy today shot by a black cop. Of course, that's all over the news because we live in opposite universe. But um, so, so there is no God of ethics. There's no omniscient God of ethics. There's what you can prove and what you can't. There's what's established. So I could invite someone onto my property. Mm. I could shoot them. They're now dead. And I could say... They were on my property. I didn't invite them. Nobody can disprove what I said, and I have now, quote, gotten away with murder, right? Yeah. And that, that's a problem, right? If you have a situation where anyone sets foot on your property, you can shoot them. Let's put it this way, too. If I am in a convenience store and I say, hey, kid, you look hungry. Have a candy bar for free, right? There's nobody else in the store. No video cameras. Nobody passing by. And I say, hey, kid, have a candy bar for free. The kid walks out, and I blow him away. And I said, he took that candy bar. Who could disprove me? I mean, but you could almost discredit any law by saying that, though. Because the kid could say, the the shop owner said I could have the candy bar for free. Who could disprove that? Well, sure, absolutely. And... um, Generally, in those situations, we would probably tend to believe the adult in general. I mean, whatever. I mean, there would be – of course, absolutely. And, and, but this is why you don't shoot the, the kid who's leaving the store because you don't know what has led up to it. You don't know what the facts are. Right. So I – So you don't think people have the right to shoot people that trespass on their property? Well, I think they do. I absolutely think they do. do if they there should? is it, no, if there is credible threat, right? In other words, if 
someone comes onto your property, shoots open your door, kicks it in, then yes, you can shoot that person because that is a credible threat. And there's evidence then, right? I mean, there's there's gunpowder residue on your door. Uh, it is, it's been kicked in and so on, right? Now, of course, you can stage an elaborate this, that, and the other and after and all that. But, but, but the reality is that there's then credible physical evidence that the person poses an immediate threat, right? An imminent and immediate. And this stuff, we don't have to invent all of this stuff. This stuff was all developed in common law uh, many, many centuries ago. In fact, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There is proportional response. And there is uh, a credible and imminent threat. And so you you absolutely get to shoot someone who's trespassing on your property. For instance, if you're a woman and the property being trespassed upon is your vagina, yes, you get to shoot that person. But if somebody um, sets, you know, puts one foot on your driveway, of course you don't get to shoot them because they pose no credible threat whatsoever. And now you're initiating the use of force. Did they step on your driveway? Yeah, they stepped on your driveway. Could be a mistake. They could be confused. They might not speak the language. They might have read a different number on your house. They may be new to town. They may be whatever, right? They, or they may be, look, <laughs> I, th- there are newspapers I don't even order that end up at my house. And people come on my property to deliver them. Do I get to shoot them? I didn't order this. They're trespassing. Bang! I mean, come on. I'd be thrown in jail. And rightly so. People come and, uh, oh yeah, Mike's got a point here. Somebody, uh, uh, they, 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 uh, they hit a baseball and it landed on my yard. They come and, and grab it. Or what about, uh, okay, well, obviously this is a more complex situation with Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I generally have just a trap door to <laughs> a, uh, a bookshelf full of atheist literature uh, that's about 400 feet underground. But um, people who come and ask for charity, people who come to you for selling things. I had a, a ding in my car. Guy knocked on the I have a, and and guy knocked on the door. Said, "Hey, man, I can take that out for you." Paid him fifty bucks. He took the ding out of the side of my car. It was great. Mm. So, I mean, you might have forgotten you ordered something. God, I've I've had that. You know, something that takes like six weeks. Well, it could be six days. I'll forget. <laughs> but somebody, I, I, you order something small, and it takes I don't know six weeks for delivery, and then you completely forget about it. Oh my God! There's a UPS fan. I mean, come on! I mean, this is—it's not—not, you know, if if somebody pokes you in the shoulder, do you get to shoot them in the head? They're kind of initiating force. It's uncomfortable, right? But you don't get to. Sh- there's some proportional. Now, there's some, you know, whether you have to, right? So in Florida and other places, something called a stand your ground law. Now, in some places, if you can escape from the situation then that's what they think you should do, right? So if, if a guy comes charging at you in a bar and you can run out the back and escape, mm-hmm. then, that's, then they say that's what you should do. But in Florida and other places, the standard ground law says you don't have to budge an inch. Someone comes charging at you, you don't yeah. move. Well, you know, if someone comes charging into, yeah, if somebody comes charging into your house, then if you can escape out the back, then you should do that. I don't know about the house thing because that's kind of different. They could then steal all your stuff, right? Yeah. But, um so there are there is sort of proportional response and credible threat. Uh, again, I'm no legal expert, but these are I think fairly well defined. And yeah, 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 there'll be some gray areas and blah, 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 right? But no, the idea that lethal force can be used for somebody anybody setting foot on your property, I think is not 
uh, is not a very rational or sustainable or provable situation. Um, and this credible threat is not I felt threatened because I'm paranoid. Right, so so there may be somebody who believes that you are a space alien who's come to suck their brains out through their nose with a curvy drinking straw, and that person might have an insanity defense, but nobody would say, "Well, you felt threatened, and maybe he was trying to drink your brain out through your nose with a drinking straw." You'd say, "Well, if you really felt that, you're not safe to be in society because then you like you are perceiving threats that don't exist, and you're mentally ill." And uh, you need to not be in society. You may not need to be punished, but you can't be in society because your brain is severely dysfunctional. So, um, so no, I, you know, this is when I say, if I see someone beating a dog, I'm appalled. I actually would be happy to use, like, push, push him off and restrain him kind right. of force. Am I going to put, you know, two between the eyes and one at the back of the head? No. I, you know, sorry, I just, and it's the same thing. Like if I saw a man beating a child, I would not shoot him because that way the child gets to see someone being shot and how, like, is that worse than being beaten? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. What if that's the child's father and you have just shot the child's father right in front of the child? I mean, do you think that's worse than getting beaten? I think that to physically restrain such a person would be a good idea. Yeah. And, um, then, you know, the, the punishment could be parenting classes or, God forbid, my show. But uh, the idea that, you know, I just take a baseball bat and cave the guy's skull in while his kid is cowering there, I don't think that would be to the benefit of the kid. Hmm. Now, uh, if it's the dog's owner, um, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable killing a human being who is beating an animal. I do feel comfortable using reasonable force to restrain that person and uh, not letting that person have the dog back. I, I feel that is reasonable because, I mean, partly partly out of I care about the dog. I mean, I'm a huge softie when it comes to animals and I care about the dog. On the other hand, I am also cognizant of the fact that if a man beats a dog, then the dog is probably going to be a danger to society, Right. Because that dog is going to be traumatized and out and about, and there'll be kids, and there'll be old people, there'll be people in walkers and wheelchairs, and uh, and or just, I mean, I remember I went hiking with my father when I was 16. Now, he's like a champion walker because he and I was not the fittest guy in the world when I was 16. I, I got better after that, but I went uh, hiking with my father, and it was just like crazy climbing, climbing, climbing. He was doing great. Uh, I was like. Ugh. <laughs> I'm sort of dragging myself up like a jab of the hut off a vertical climbing wall of razor blades. But anyway, uh, we, we came down, and I guess much like Detroit, Africa is home to dog packs. And the dogs were sort of launching themselves at us. And I remember my dad kicking a dog to, to get it to go away. I vividly, like very clearly remember that. Mm. Um, and I thought that was reasonable because the dogs could have been uh, dangerous, and it did send the dogs sort of chirping off. And, and, and the other thing, too, of course, is that um, uh, people who publicly, like, say, in a free society, people who publicly uh, do something to, like, beat a dog or whatever, then someone's going to record that on a cell phone and post that to something like YouTube, and uh, that social ostracism is going to take care of that guy, even if nobody decides to intervene. Hmm. I think what I, where I probably 
fallen down is that I, I've tried, I'm, I try to construct um, these clear and easily definable um, lines between right and wrong. And as far as I saw it, anything that fell kind of in between was, um, must be wrong. So there's always a right and wrong answer, which kind of umbrellas these other, sm- these smaller details. Um, well, no, no, it's a good, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you and I'll, I'll be very brief. But that's from the omniscient perspective. This is one of the infections that, that religion has in the realm of ethics, mm-hmm. is that we think we can construct these elaborate scenarios where the truth will always be known. Right. right, like I invite a guy into my property and then I shoot him. People will say, well, but you invited him onto your property. But the problem is, is that there is no God of ethics. It's what you can prove. It's what you can establish. Hmm. You know, reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt, is 99% or more certainty. I think in civil cases, like 51% or something like that. Yeah. But... When you say, well, I've got to have these rules and, and, and you know, there's these punishments and so on, the problem is that you, you can't know things for sure in terms of empirical evidence. I mean, look, look at how many people have looked at the JFK shooting. Look at how many people have looked, looked at 9-11. Look at how many people have looked at the Boston bombings or the London bombings. Look at how many people have looked at the, the, the two big racial incidents, um, Zimmerman and uh, Brown. Uh, look at the number of people, and they come off with wildly different situations. Even even eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable. I mean, in the Michael Brown case, witnesses just changed their stories. And according to people in the neighborhood, there were signs posted up at the apartment building saying, you talk to the cops, we'll kill you. Really? You tell the cops that Michael Brown didn't have his hands up, we'll shoot you. Of course, Reporters should be taking pictures of those and putting them on social media and all over the place so people understand the pressure that the local residents are under to conform to the the narrative. And the narrative, of course, has probably tens or hundreds of millions of dollars attached to it uh, for a variety of government-based reasons. But you can't establish the facts very easily, even if stuff is videoed. I mean, there are videos of all the planes going into the building. Uh, in 9-11 and still I mean it's been a long time since I've reviewed them but there are people who are like ah you see there's an extra fuel tank underneath and ah you see you know with the Pentagon this thing couldn't have come in this low and ah you see it couldn't have made this small like even with photographs and videos and so on there are people who have wildly divergent yeah opinions so this the the fog of of truth with regards to ethics is a great great challenge there's a, a case in Canada Sorry, I said it'd be quick. I apologize for that. I'll, I'll shut up after this. So there's not a case, like a legal case in Canada, but there's a, a woman on Parliament in, in Parliament who said that uh, uh, she was uh, sexually harassed or molested. I can't remember, raped or something like that. And she you know, voluntarily went to the guy's room late at night. She didn't say no to sex. She gave him a condom, and now she's saying it was not consensual. Good Lord. I mean, good luck with that, right? And so because there's this fog... And people lie. Mm. Um, I'm with the house on this. People lie. And so finding out the truth is very, very difficult. And sometimes, and most times, it's functionally impossible. You just have to go with beyond a reasonable doubt, which is why uh, that standard exists. So um, so don't, don't try and dwell in a world where the truth can be known. 
with regards to crimes. There is the fog. I mean, people cover up. Uh, they they bury evidence. They remove stuff. They delete stuff. They you know. I, I mean, look at Bill Cosby. I mean, nineteen women last count came forward saying that inappropriate actions ranged from forced kissing all the way to outright rape. Who knows? This will probably, I mean, almost certainly, unless he confesses, and even if he confesses, there could be other reasons for him doing that. People have certainly confessed to crimes that they have not committed in the past. And so even if he confesses, that obviously would make it pretty certain. But knowing what actually happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago is, and this is what the police said when one of the women went to the cops. They said, listen, it's been a year. What what are we supposed to do? It's your word against his. Nothing can be established. Mm. And um, so when it comes to the, to the use of force, finding out – I mean, God, just – I mean, maybe it's because I worked in a daycare where kids would be in a fracas and they'd both point at each other and say, he started it. Because every, even four-year-olds know the power of self-defense versus initiation, right? And how can you find out? How can you find out? So this this fog of, of who knows, unless everyone's permanently wearing body cams or something, I don't know what the hell will happen. You'll probably get a reduction on your assurance if you want to do that. But it's very hard to know what is, uh, uh, what is going on. There may be a few instances where things are perfectly clear. But there are situations where you know, a, a black man shot a guy in a parking lot and 20 witnesses all said something different. It's, God, I mean, finding out what actually happened is, I mean, one of the one of the witnesses in the Michael Brown, Darren Wilson case said her piece and then when she was confronted with the fact, she said, oh, he was shot in the front, he had his arms up. And then when she was confronted with the fact that the uh, empirical evidence, which always trumps of course, memory and observation, the empirical evidence flatly contradicted what she was saying. She came back and she said, well, the problem is I'm racist. And the problem is I have a bad memory. And the problem is uh, I have trouble distinguishing fantasy from reality. Mm. Okay. Okay. So thanks for being a witness. Could have mentioned that beforehand before you told the, the press exactly what happened in your mind. So it's very tough. You know, try, trying to say, well, if this happens, then this should be the moral result. Who the hell even knows what happens in, in the world? Anyway, sorry, sorry for all of that, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah, it, it does. So, um, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say on the issue. It's given me some ideas and uh, possibly a, a path to change the way I've been thinking about these questions. Um, I just want to say that I, I'm a huge fan of your show, Stefan. And um, I'm going to do my best to spread your shows in England, <laughs> where I am. And I'm, I'm a huge supporter of your, your um, non-violence um, argument um, and your against not hitting children. Mm. I think it's great, and I'm going to do my best to spread it around England. <laughs> well, Brett, i, I got to tell you, first of all, fantastic conversation. I hope it was enjoyable for you. I, I know we haven't come to any, you know, how do you UPB prove that you should only use proportional force not lethal force against someone beating a dog blah blah blah, blah. Mm. we could work that out you know if we wanted to spend an hour or so but again given that it's such a rare situation that anyone's i've got a gun i see someone beating a dog i've got a clear shot there's no danger to anyone else i know i'm not going to hit the dog like this is never going to happen 
to, to just about anyone in yeah. their life. But but I really want to I, I hugely appreciate you bringing up the question. I found it very enjoyable and stimulating. And, yeah. and of course, I hugely appreciate your enthusiasm for what it is that we're doing here. That totally makes my day. Yeah. Well, thanks for answering my question. And um, your, your shows have really actually kept me company quite a lot since I've been at university these last two months. So um, normally you're just a voice that comes out of my speaker. <laughs> and tonight I can actually talk back, which is really strange. <laughs> and we have proof. <laughs> Wait, the recorder's running, right? Yes, we yeah. have proof. <laughs> well, thanks very much. And uh, keep us posted uh, on any other thoughts and questions you have. I uh, hugely appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Stefan. Thanks, Brett. And thanks, Mike. Oh, thank you, Brett. All right. Up next is Kay. Wrote in and said, my girlfriend broke up with me because she kept seeing signs of me being either passive or dependent on her, even though I was neither. Even when I could show her that the signs she saw were not real, she couldn't stop seeing them. What can cause her to see those signs, and why does it seem so impossible to convince her that she is wrong? Well, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the relationship? Um, where did you meet? How long did it last? Uh, is, it, is it still going on? No, no, it's, it's uh, very much not. Uh, okay, we, so yeah, if you can give me some details, that'd be great. Well, we uh, we actually met, uh, we know each other for quite some time. Uh, we uh, used to be lake house neighbors. So uh, we met already in um, the first time uh, when uh, I was 15 and she was 16. And uh, I'm sorry, what, what kind of neighbors? Uh, our our grandparents had their lake houses next to each other. I see, I see. Okay, got it. So, so my my grandfather and her grandfather knew each other well, and then our parents grew up knew knowing each other quite well, and uh, we were sort of the third generation. So, uh, so we were sort of childhood acquaintances, and we we actually had a a classical teen romance when I was when I was sixteen and she was seventeen, but then we didn't. We were we were kids back then, and we we lived miles apart, hundreds of miles apart. So nothing, it didn't progress from there. But I, 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 I always carried a torch for so so to speak, all the way up until now. When uh, when we uh, it was in in the spring this year, so seventeen years later. Uh, we uh, we got together and uh, we had we'd been talking a lot b- before we actually got together, and then it just sort of happened and everything happened quite uh, quite quickly because obviously we knew each other well from from our past, and uh, everything seemed right. Uh, we had really long conversations about really deep and significant things, you know, what are values, what are what we want in the future, what we want out of the relationship, family, marriage and all that. So uh, uh she started in April this year and uh, all through the summer the idea of, of, of getting married and and having children seemed it, it, it was more a question of when than if. It, we seem to already be had had made that decision almost. Uh, then, uh, then her uh, we obviously had our own apartments, but uh, her 
apartment that her entire entire building was being renovated and they had they put in new pipes and and uh, electricity and stuff so she she couldn't live in her apartment for for a couple of months uh so I obviously invited her into my to my place uh and we uh, and she she moved in, in in July but we spent most of July mm, traveling we went to, to a lake house we saw which we saw our families and and all of that. So we didn't start actually living together until the middle of August. And this is when uh, things started to to unravel, so to speak. And because uh, she she had she had told me even before we we the relation started that uh, in her past she had in, in she had she had had was in relationships and in romantic relationships and 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 in friendships and even in work relationships she often uh, uh, experienced that people around her became passive because she herself she has a very strong personality she's quite charismatic so people sort of yield responsibility to her and 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 Wants her to to make make the decision so that they can just act according to to what she has decided, and uh, that was one of her. Uh, this is what she told me at least. This is one of one of her greatest fears, that in any relationship that this will happen, that the other person, especially in a romantic relationship, of course, that the other person becomes passive and dependent and uh, and reactive. So, uh, and it seemed to me. That she she was always looking because she was afraid of this. She was always looking for signs that this was this was happening in our relationship as well. And uh, my my feeling is that if you keep looking for something, you will find it. Uh, and uh, and she did at least in 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 her mind. And we'll be talking about really really banal things here. Uh, just just about anything. I did or didn't do could be interpreted as but as, as a sign of, of 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 being passive or dependent or reactive, and uh, it we it, it it took three weeks before before we uh, we had had a real conversation about this because I it's pretty insulting obviously if you if you if your partner thinks that you are. Or being completely dependent on her, or or being just re- reacting to whatever she does, because that that is telling you that in 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 her eyes you are not an independent grown up person yourself, and and uh, that's hardly flattering. So so we actually had a, a, a argument about this, and I told her that I'm, I'm not, I, what you are saying is not true, and uh, the, all the things that you listed, but. These are not signs of 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 any of any uh, being passive or dependent. I'm obviously not that person, and she got it when uh, uh, when we had this first conversation. She she realized that 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 she was wrong, and she had a and, and she she was quite grateful uh, for that conversation. That she thought it was like she said herself that it, it is important for her that I sort of. Put up boundaries, saying that hey, you, you you're going too far now. This is not this is not the way things are. Uh, 
Okay, sorry. Just I just want to go back and make sure I understand. So when when you said that she was uh, charismatic and uh, was it domineering or or how would you characterize that in her? She, I think one of my 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 nieces uh, described it best because uh, my my brother-in-law asked actually daughter what what she what she thought about this person. And she, she said she's like the sun. She's very, she's very open, very social. She's easy to talk to. Uh, she has, she has great social skills, and, uh, and she's a, she's a sort of strong, strong personality. She's very confident in herself. So, uh, so yes, she does take a lot of space in any conversation, a group, group of people. Okay, this is all, I, I don't know what any of this means. I mean, people say well, she's confident, she takes up a lot of space, she's like the sun. Okay, how does this manifest? So you're in a, when you were in the relationship with her, what, so what, would this cause conflicts? I mean, what, no, no, no. how it, did this it, manifest? That, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, in, in our relationship, I, I never felt it like that, 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 that she was taking up more space than me or something like that. Uh, and that—that that is the one, one one of the problems I've had. I've, I've had. Okay, let me, let me ask this. you again. Let me ask you again. Is there any way that you can translate the issues into something I can understand? That's not a metaphor or an allegory or something which requires me already having knowledge of the person. I mean, so for instance, there could be a woman who's bossy, who's like, uh, "We're going to do this," or "I want to go here," and any time you disagree, she gets upset. I mean, I say, but but something that I can actually understand because I, I can't follow what the issue is. Is she dominant? Does she want her own way more than off, more than not? Does she? I mean, w- what does this mean? Like she's got a big personality or whatever. I'm not really sure how to explain. Uh, because you understand, you're, you're basically saying, I mean, if you come into a doctor and you're saying, I feel uncomfortable, that's not going to be enough for him to prescribe anything, right? Where does it hurt? How does it hurt? When did it start? You know, is there any emotions that reproduce it? Uh, if I push here, does it hurt? Like, in order to do a differential diagnosis, there has to be something tangible to work with, and I don't know what the issue is here. She thinks that you're submissive. You don't describe her as dominant. I don't know what the issue is. Like, I, I'm sorry, I just I can't figure out what to say. Uh, the, Unless you can give me some more clear description of, like, you dated her. Were there conflicts? Uh, th- th- this was... Uh, Hang on, no? Were there conflicts? Yes. Okay, what were the conflicts about? In particular, not in abstract. Uh, or her, maybe you can describe to me one particular conflict that stands out for you. Her perceiving me as, as uh, passive and dependent. No, that's her. that's not a specific conflict. But that is what we argued about because she she would she no would... no there must look there must have been something that she feels you were doing that was passive. Did they did she ever say it bothers me that you don't have an yeah, opinion uh, about uh, this uh, or it uh, bothers uh, me that okay go ahead. Uh, in, in, the, in the first argument, what about this? She, she I, I was I asked her about it and, and she, she started listing things that. She saw a signs of being passive. One of the, one of the, I mean, just the, one of the signs were, for instance, that we were we were in the shop, grocery shop. She wanted something. I didn't have any particular item that I wanted, so she she went about the shop and 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 uh, picked up the items that she she wanted. So I I followed her around because I had nowhere else to go, obviously. 
And this was a problem for her. She was, she, Wait, so she was in a shop. She wanted something. You didn't need anything, so you followed her around? Yes, because we, we, were, we were out walking, and when we when went back, we went, went into the store. She wanted a few items. She, she picked them out, and, uh, and we then went, uh, went paid for it and went home. And, this and how, hang on, how long did it take for her to get her items? Uh, five, ten minutes. So she had to go for some things for five or ten minutes. You didn't need anything, and you went with her to buy these things for five or ten minutes, and she considered this submissive? Yes. So she's insane. Well, that is the conclusion I'm Okay, so you were dating a crazy person, so it's a good thing you're not dating a crazy person anymore. I guess, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, am I missing something? I mean, what you're doing is nice. Hey, I'll come with you for a couple of chores. I mean, if 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 she was doing five hours of shopping for shoes, I mean, any man with half a red blood cell would rather <laughs> blow his own brains out with a shotgun than go shopping with a woman for shoes for five hours. But if she's just picking up a few things, sure. I mean, then then if she considers it submiss- submissive, I mean, what were you supposed to do? Backhand her and tell her to get in the back of the van? I mean, w- w- no, I'm going to stand here while you get your stuff and then you can come back and get me. I mean, that would just be rude. I mean, if you know, my wife's got to go pick something up, I, it's nice to go along and chat with her. It's great. Um, if she's going, sh- if my wife has like a day where she's got to go and and do some shopping, um, you know, I'll 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 be like the gay guy in Downton Abbey. I'll like hold my hand up and get it shot off rather than go for a day of shopping. But uh, and that you know maybe there are guys who like that. It's just not. I'm not one of them. But. Um, yeah, if, if she considers you to be spineless because you go with her for five or ten minutes of shopping rather than do what, I don't know, stand in the middle of the mall and strike a manly pose, then she's a crazy person and I don't know why – I mean, I mean, I get it's painful when you realize you're dating a crazy person, but uh, wow, you know, you, you dodged a pretty kaleidoscopic bullet there. Yeah, I'm beginning to, to, to realize that myself, so – Difficult to understand how how people can end up like that, and and and, and also when we when we broke up, well, she broke up with me, obviously. Uh, it, it, it was such a bizarre bizarre thing because less than a week week before she broke up with me, she, she we had a long conversation. I was on a business trip, so we had a long conversation on the phone, and she also sent me a message. Uh, text message saying that she how, how grateful she was to me for for sort of being who I am, enabling her. She's like in her in her in her own words, saying that for the first time in her life, she's been able to be fully herself, and uh, and all the realizations that that has brought brought with it. So she was grateful to me for that, and uh, that I had in a way saved her. And uh, permanently change her life for the better, and she she said this in, in so many words, which of course felt good. And uh, less than a week later, I come home, and she tells me that it's, it's over. Now, did she meet another man? No. Are you sure? No, she can't be sure, but uh, that's not the reason she gave. Oh, that's not the reason she gave. And has she dated anyone else since that you know of, or do you not have any contact? I have completely cut her out. Right. Now, I will say this. You're not very emotionally available, at least to me in this conversation. I mean, you might as well be discussing uh, 
your stamp collection on quaaludes when it comes to this. I assume this is an important issue. You could talk about anything in this conversation, and this is what you've brought up as the most important issue, and it really sounds like you're reciting the phone book. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And what's that? Um, is it in fact quaaludes? Or? <laughs> no, it, it, it has to do with what has happened since uh, I posed the question. Uh, when she, she she moved back to her to her own apartment, it became ready and it became available again after the renovation. She, she, she moved back. And then I, I, I thought through the entire relationship as, as far as that goes. And I wrote her a letter where I, where I sort of listed these things. Uh, these ob- observations, but also pointing out how uh, all the good sides of the relationship, through, all, all from the beginning to the end, six months, that's not that long, but obviously I've known each other for a long time. Wait, uh, you, you wrote her a letter after she broke up with you? Yes, because uh, we, we never really had time to, to, to discuss the breakup. It was sort of three days later, she uh, we. She had only, I had a, I, she had a business trip. I had a business trip, and then okay, she moved, moved out when, so when you, I was not. Sorry, sorry, just interrupt. So you wrote her a letter after you broke up, where you were trying to make your case as to how she was wrong, or uh, yeah, uh, just yeah, not not as not as such to to make the case that she was wrong. It's just. Um, my thoughts on uh, on on what had happened because I hadn't had time. I hadn't but why wouldn't you have a conversation with her? She wasn't really available. What do you mean she wasn't really available? She wasn't answering your calls. She wasn't. I mean, what do you mean? I guess the, I had a I had a I was hoping that that uh, the letter would maybe spark a conversation because I there there quite a few things that I needed to no, say. No, you're not answering. But yeah, hang on. Listen and and answer. You said she wasn't available. Does that mean you tried to call her, but she wasn't returning your calls? Or was it something else? Uh, I think it was more that... No, no, no. Maybe maybe I'm not not making myself clear. I'll start earlier. Did you call her after she broke up with you? No, we, uh, we had exchanged text messages. For, for for a brief moment, but then it sort of ended. So you didn't call her. No. So how do you know she wasn't available? I don't. Okay. Why didn't you call her if you had something you wanted to say to her? Because I'm telling you, a letter is a terrible way to do it, and it's a passive aggressive way to do it. When you receive a letter, it's in my view. I mean. In these situations, it's kind of cowardly. Why didn't you call her if you were upset with her? Turned out I had a lot, lot of things that I, I needed to, to say, and, and, and I was unsure if I could could uh, get it all out uh, in, in a conversation with her. Also, I Well, okay, but you can write the letter, and you then make the points if you want and bring them with you or have them in the conversation you're going to have with her. But why not have a conversation? Because I'm concerned about this part. What's the problem with having a conversation? When you write a letter, you're in control of the dialogue. The person can't respond. They can't talk back. It's not an equal interaction or communication. Well, we, uh, that was one part where we, we, when we were, were kids, we used to 
to write each other a lot. So I thought that uh, it was sort of a, it used to be our MO back in the day. So that also contributed to the, to the, to the decision. But, you know, you can always, you can always answer a let. And she did. Okay. And what was her reply? She basically said that uh, uh, the reason that we broke up had nothing to do with her or the way or any traumas or problems that she might have, that, that the reason we broke up was all about, it was due to the, the kind of person I was. No, the reason you broke up is because you're writing letters to each other. No, we broke up Rather than talking that. to each other. No, we talked about, we, we talked to each other all the time. That was one of the best best aspects of our relationship. That before, that is why it became came such a surprise to me because we talked about the things that, you know, the, uh, her, her finding the signs of me being, being passive. We had, we, we had one converse, really good conversation about that uh, in uh, so, so three okay, weeks hang on. So, 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 no, I'm not going back. I'm not going back into Falkland with you here, right? So, so Kai is so you wrote a letter to her, basically saying that she shouldn't have broken up with you. No, no, I didn't say that. Well, what was in what was in the letter? I thought it was here were the things that were problematic and and so on, right? But it wasn't, here's the things I did wrong, was it? I mean, you're not admitting to do anything wrong here with me, right? You've had more time to process it. No, I, I, I just uh, wanted, out, I wanted to give uh, my thoughts on what, what had happened. And uh, Oh, my God. Will you stop fogging me, for God's sakes? Of course they were your thoughts on what had happened. It's like you're basically telling me I wrote a letter and I used letters. Of course, they were your thoughts on what happened. What were your thoughts on happened? Whose fault? You, you, all you're telling me in this conversation is that she was wrong and you were right because she told you you were passive and you are not passive. That's what you're telling me. So she was wrong to break up with you. Is that what you said in the letter? Mm. Or did you say something different in the letter than you're saying to me now? I mean, obviously, it's not exactly the same, but. No, no, it is. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Okay. So in the letter, you told her that it was all her fault. And in her letter back to you, she told you that it was all your fault. No, I, what, 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 say what, I understood that she felt that she, the bad feelings that she had. I, mean, I understood that if you... No, 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 you're fucking me again. Let's get back to, to clarity. I mean, that, that's in the such, letter, that's no, exactly in, what in, I wrote. No, in the, in the letter back to you, did she tell you that she broke up with you because you were passive? No, she only said that she broke up with me because of what I was and who I am. She didn't, she didn't go into specifics. Oh, so she she basically just said, because you breathe, I broke up with you. Because you exist and are the person that you are, I broke up with you. So she didn't say that it was because you were passive. No, she just said that the way I am. I broke up with you because you are you, that that was her contribution to the conversation. Yes. And when did she say she broke up with you because you were passive? Or did she ever say that? That was in... Uh in the breakup corner, when she told me that she was breaking up with me, she, she cited all the, the things. She said the, all the things that she had brought up in our previous conversations about me being passive. She felt that, that uh, she needed more, uh, that I was too, uh, wanted much, 
too much closeness with her that I wanted that I uh, wait you want hang on hang on you wanted too much closeness with her yes what does that mean you, you wanted to be I, intimate with her you wanted to know who she was as a human being you wanted to understand her thoughts and feelings what does that mean I don't know what it, it what it means she she, she uh, I asked her she she said she, she the, the reason she gave was something that I didn't understand what she, what she, what she said or what she meant. One 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 reason she said she gave was that I uh, I was too attentive and I I too I I I, I what the English word that I took I couldn't showed her too much consideration that that took her her needs and her wants and her well being in too much consideration. Right. Okay. Now, I I think I might be able to help you with that. Yeah. I I think I think I might be able to help you with that. Now, these are generalizations which people will inevitably take out of context, but that's fine. That's other people's business to slice and dice if they want. But um, you were talking about having children with this woman, right? Yes. Now, what does a woman need biologically if you're going to be the father? What does she need from you? She would need my semen. I would. Yeah, she needs your semen. But after that, in terms of raising children for, say, 20 years or so, what does she need from you? Time and resources. Yeah, she needs resources, right? Are you going to get resources by being attempted to, attentive to her? Uh, just by being attentive? Yeah, just by being attentive to her, are you going to get the resources she needs? to feed her your children. I would get that from being employed and having an income. Exactly. You would get that from going out into the workforce, competing and beating other men, winning against other men. Do you understand? Yes. So, a woman likes it if you're attentive to her because she wants to know that you care about her feelings and this and that and the other, but a woman biologically wants you to go out there and get some cheddar and bring it home. And if you have to pull it away from another man or another man's wife or another man's child, you go and you get those resources and you bring them home to mama, right? Yes. Now, if you are overly solicitous to the feelings of a woman, then she's concerned that you don't have what it takes to go out and wrestle from the big bad world the resources that she needs to feed the children. Because she's signing up biologically. I know that the modern blah, 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 but I'm talking about deep down in her grabby ovaries. She is signing up for 20 years of you bringing her stuff to feed the kids with. And there are lots of guys out there who want to get stuff Bring it to the women so they can feed the children and, by the way, feed the woman. Plus, the woman wants some status and she wants to have the nicest looking house and she wants to have decorated front yards and backyards and and she wants, uh, you know, 12 beaver pelts hanging from the lampshades or whatever the hell passes for fashion these days. She wants to have so many pillows on your bed that you basically got to be a little forklift truck in order to get a nap in. I mean, she just wants all that stuff, that status, that's resources. So she wants to show that her eggs are worth this much. What did my eggs go for 
on the sexual auction. What did I get for my eggs, baby? Were they golden eggs or were they eggs of tin and copper and stone? Which is why 80% or 85% of domestic spending is by women. And it's to say, hey, everybody, and particularly you ladies, this is what I got for my eggs. This is how much money I was able to squeeze out of a penis with my vagina. Got some strong Kegel muscles. Squeezed that penis so hard it turned into a diamond. Isn't that good? Doesn't that make me nice and strong? So, a woman will, in general, biologically, a woman will be difficult at times. And when that woman is difficult, what she's doing is she's saying... Are you assertive enough to go out into the big, bad, competitive world full of other burly burly silverback gorillas and get me my bananas? And this is why women – and some people call it a shit test if you don't mind the colloquialism. And the shit test is that the woman will come at you and be disagreeable and be difficult. This happens in wolf packs as well. I mean out of nowhere, the female wolves will just start biting and attacking the male. (laughs) And if the male runs away with his tails between his legs, they won't mate with him. If the male attacks back, which is incredibly rare, they won't mate with him. But if the male turns a soft shoulder to the female wolf and simply lets her bite at him without doing him any particular harm, then she'll mate with him. Because he's showing that he's not a coward, he's showing that he can handle conflict, that he is secure, that he is strong has self-control, discipline. In other words, she'll mate with him because she needs to simulate the big bad world to see if he can handle the big bad world to go out and get her resources for her children. So when a woman is difficult, she is, she is being the world to see if you can win with the world. And you don't fight with her. You listen, and you. And now knowing the difference between when a woman is testing and when a woman is really has an issue is a fine art, which I can go into perhaps another time. But uh, I'll give you an example. Very recently, do you remember uh, what was called shirt storm? The shirt storm, yeah. right? This um, the the uh, the genius engineer. Sorry to catch you off there. It's called shirt storm too. Shirt. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, it wasn't a t-shirt in YouTube, nitpicker. I would, you're right. It had a collar. That's the most important thing about that whole incident. It was a bowling shirt, Stefan. <laughs> right. Sorry. So, so this was a gigantic shit test. So this guy is like, he's a total alpha. I mean, the guy landed a spaceship on a comet, for God's sakes. I mean... To get overly sexist, I mean, watch your average woman attempt to parallel park in traffic and (laughs) compare that to a guy who can land a spaceship on a comet, for God's sakes. It's amazing. And him wearing a shirt of scantily clad women was another display of alpha, right? And then the women all swarmed him. You sexist, you misogynist, right? (laughs) I wonder what that's like. (laughs) And uh, this was just a shit test. And what, they, what he basically should have said is, 
hey, ladies, if you <laughs> if you can land a, a spaceship on a comet, come work here. <laughs> no one's going to say no, because I'm the only guy who could do it, which means I kind of got a monopoly of one. Do not think that my sh- my shirt is barring you from landing a spaceship on a comet. I mean, it didn't stop me from landing a spaceship on a comet. Now did it. So, you know, put on your big girl panties and come out and beat in the world if you want, right? But <laughs> and it's just funny. They're just they're, they're just making a lot of noise because he just did a cool alpha thing. And that's what a lot of women will do. When they see an alpha male who's got confidence, look, it took a lot of balls, A, to land a spaceship on a comet, and B, to wear that shirt. So, (laughs) so, fine. He should have just said, hey, I'm sorry you don't like the shirt, but I landed a spaceship on a comet. (laughs) If you're concerned about my shirt, you're kind of missing the point of life. It's a funny shirt. Get over it, ladies. There's some big girl panties around. Put them on. See if they fit. Uh, and and it's just it was just a bunch of noise. Look, this is not to say that women don't have complaints that are legitimate. Of course they do. Absolutely they do. And those should be listened to with all due seriousness and so on, right? I mean, the complaints about, against Bill Cosby, the complaints against John Gamashi, they are significant and serious. Complaints about a shirt? Come on. Come on. You know, in Toronto, there's a club, and uh, <laughs> in that club, it's it's all women, right? And and the women basically get a hot guy to pose naked, and then they draw pictures of him. And this is, you know, fun feminism. It's empowering. It's women taking control of their own sexuality and image and this and that. And they're all, like, middle-aged and obviously kind of creaky and so on, right? And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine if I set up a club for middle-aged guys and we hire bikini models to draw them and they pose naked and we pay them. I mean, this would be considered like leering and lecherous and base and gross and so on, right? right? In the same way that stripper bars are considered seedy, but Chippendales is giddy and empowering. I mean, it's just a bunch of nonsense that, that people make up and um, – if you want to get an alpha female, then be an alpha male. Like, I'm sorry, you can't rewire biology. I'm not a Marxist. You can't rewire approximately four quintillion years of biological evolution. A woman wants to sell her eggs to the man who can get the most resources. And this is, of course, the great tragedy of a lot of relationships to the degree to which people simply don't understand that. Men wish to sell their resources to get the most fertile and attractive woman. Women wish to sell their eggs to get the man who can bring them the most resources. The man who can bring them the most resources is often cold-hearted, highly competitive, and anti-empathetic. Right? That's how, in general, in a highly competitive environment, you get the most resources. Is you are not... A very empathetic person because, of course, if you grab those bananas and there are three guys who also have women who want bananas, you have to coldly close your heart against all of the other apes who want bananas. And you have to just get your own bananas and and, and sneak them home and give them to your lovely she-gorilla. I mean that's that's the way it works. So then women 
in some ways, women want a man who's emotionally sensitive, but they also want a man who's a cold-blooded banana grabber <laughs> because they need the resources, right, for, for the kids. Look, in the same way, what is the man's fantasy? The man's fantasy is a hot woman who doesn't even know that she's hot, right? Because that way, he can underbid his resources for her youth, beauty, and fertility, right? That's like the librarian, right? <laughs> like the Clark Kent. <laughs> With glasses on, nobody could recognize him as the man of steel because they're steel-ribbed. And so the fantasy for the man is the sexy woman you don't even know how beautiful you are. Take off those glasses. Let down this hair. Oh, my God. She's a goddess, right? I, I'm with Stanley Kowalski from A Streetcar Named Desire when Blanche Dubois says, Tell me if I'm attractive. Tell me how attractive I am. And he's like, Ech, I never, ne I never yet met a woman who didn't know exactly how attractive she was. And, of course, that's what she's supposed to do. Because to use her beauty biologically intelligently... She wants to find that sweet spot, not the G spot, although that doesn't hurt, the sweet spot. Now, the sweet spot is this man is attractive enough to get me enough resources. It, it, he will get me enough resources to feed my kids. But if I go for a more attractive man, I won't be able to keep him. He may sleep with me but I won't be able to keep him because then she might end up with kids but no provider, which basically was suicide for most of us uh, throughout biological history. So she wants to find that sweet spot. Yes, he's not a non-provider. In other words, he's not just some lazy, fat, good-for-nothing guy who's never going to go out and pick a banana for me. But he's also not like Brad Pitt when she's like a six or something because then he, you know, she, he may sleep with her, but he won't have a relationship with her. So that's the sweet spot for a woman. More resources, more resources. Ooh, not, not too many resources because, right? I mean, just look at the woman who married um, George Clooney. I mean, she's like a gazelle with a brunette mop on top. She's, <laughs> I mean, she's just, she's like all legs, preternaturally skinny, physically beautiful, right? And I assume that this is the basis for him running for office, right? I mean, which is, anyway, it's another story. But um, so she wants the most resource-intense man her eggs can possibly get, but not so resource-intensive that he's going to sleep around, cheat around, other women are going to steal him away, particularly when she gets in her 40s and is no longer fertile and all this, that, and the other, right? And so she wants a man who's considerate of her, but she also will shit test the man and be difficult to make sure that he can handle conflict in the world because he's going to have to handle conflict in the world and emerge successful in order to get her resources. So when she's saying you are not uh, – you're too submissive, I mean you can say that's her talking or whatever, but basically it's the eggs talking. Well, he's very nice, I guess, but I don't trust him 
to go out and successfully compete with the other gorillas to get the bananas. You know, I saw some nature special where I think it was, I, I honestly, excuse me for not remembering all the details, but it was one species of ape hunting another species of ape. I can't remember if it was baboons after chimpanzees or something like that. And chimpanzee was fleeing and baboons, and they were like, they just, they ripped him apart. When they caught him, they ripped him apart and they ate him from the inside out. Well, that's a lot of hunting, and that's pretty cold, right? And when people are listening to my show, they're not listening to anyone else's show. I, oh, that's me winning, right? Ooga, ooga, I win. Ears be mine, resources cheddar for the children. So I, uh, I win. When people watch reality TV rather than listen to this show, well, the planet loses. <laughs> but the advertisers and the producers and all that for the reality show, they win. And they're, oh, I win, oh, right? And so the eggs need you to be nice to the egg holder, sure. But they need you a little bit or maybe a lot to be a cold-hearted, win-at-all-cost bastard who's going to bring back a shit ton of bananas. Like having a good job that pays well. Like having a good job that pays well for now, but also having the oomph to get more later, to be CEO, to start your own business, to be in charge, to be the movie star, to be whatever, right? She needs to know not only... That you like could, be being on track for, for partnership in, in the firm you're working at. Mm -hmm. And she has to believe deep down that you can uh, fight the other apes for the resources and win. Does that, does that make any sense? Yes, it does. But uh, how, how do you prove that? How do you prove what? That, that you are able to do those things. Like getting the resources and, and what you're talking okay, about. Okay, well, let me, let me ask you this. In a situation where you disagreed with her about something, what happened? We talked it out. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. Because if you did, if you did, you'd still be together. No, we did a lot of talking about that, and that, that's that's what, one of the reasons that she, less than a week before she broke up, expressed her gratitude to me was that we, just a few days before, we had had a long conversation. We, this uh, passive uh, dependence yeah. came up again. And, <laughs> I'm and, telling and, you, brother. And, and, and I, we, listen, we talked I'm, about I'm that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm telling you. <laughs> gratitude. Gratitude is death to romance. I'm sorry to tell you this. I really am. But listen, can you imagine? You've just had great sex, you know, with a woman. You know, you've you've gone through, you know, M to Z in the Kama Sutra. You've you've pulled nine muscles, and uh, you're so slippery that if God grabs you, you're going up like a bar of soap in a shower. And you lean over to the woman and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful for that sex. Thank you so much. Do you know what she'll do? Uh, no, I don't. Well, she'll throw up in her mouth a little bit. Yes, but and that's she'll not slap. relevant. 
for, for, for me. It is relevant. It oh, is relevant. It, it really is. No, thank you for sex is gross. Yeah, but that obviously did not, did not happen. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying this happened with you and the woman. I'm, I'm using it to sidle towards you, right? Gratitude is very, very dangerous in a romantic relationship. Because gratitude is an inferior position. And what you want is respect. Gratitude is... When I tip a guy, he says, thank you. I don't have to tip him. When I was a waiter and I was tipped, I said, thank you. Person didn't have to tip me. You're in a supplicating position. It's an inferior position. Are you in an inferior position when you are grateful or the other way around? Who who is in, in the inferior position? The, the person who's expressing expressing gratitude. Which is not her. It's not to say it's not yeah, it's absolutely it's her. So if she's being grateful expressing if she's expressing a gratitude to me for being uh, in like like you said, strong enough and uh, emotional enough to to handle conflict situations. How does that translate into? Well, because I it's not it's not respect. It's not respect. Gratitude is not the same as respect. I'm not look. I'm not saying don't be grateful in your life. I am. I thank the listeners. I thank Mike and so on. And I'm not saying don't be grateful and don't be happy in your life at all. But it can't escape your attention that right after she said she was really grateful, she dumped you. Well, that is what puzzles me. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it did. It has not escaped me. Right. So her gratitude killed. Her sexual desire, her romantic desire for you, right? She could not be both grateful to you and turned on by you. Because a woman's sexual desire responds to a man's capacity to provide, not to be sensitive to her needs, which isn't going to get her one thin old banana. But a woman's eggs... Like a woman's sexual desire is driven by biology, and biology is eggs for resources. And you being sensitive to her needs, it may make her feel good in the moment, but it's not what the eggs need. What the eggs need is for you to be insensitive to the needs of everyone else who wants the bananas. Now, so the, the, uh, maybe we should explain this more. Uh, the, the reaction to which led up to her expression of, of, of gratitude came from an argument we had that started with I'm with I'm telling her that hey you are being really selfish and self-centered now and I'm not going to accept that that you look at me and every and, and interpret everything I do as being reactive and she and, and I, said, I asked her is this really how, how you see things and she said yes and then uh, that 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 uh, that I am just being responsive or reactive that I that I always take my cue from you. Is this, is this how you how you see me? How see see how things are? And she said yes. That that how how she sees it. And then I said, told her, well, "Dude, dude, that, you have the you have the emotional power of a sea sponge." At least in this conversation, when you listen back to this, you will understand what I'm talking about. If you can't feel it, or rather, not feel it now, you have no passion, and because you have no passion. 
because you don't seem to have any emotional energy. That's actually true. I don't. I feel like I feel very emotionally exhausted. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. And do emotionally exhausted apes get the bananas? Well, I, I get quite a few bananas actually. So that do no, no, but it doesn't. See, <laughs> fuck. <sighs> Eggs don't know about money. Eggs measure a man's strength. But that was exactly what because when, when we had the argument, uh, she reacted really strongly to that argument because she she, she, she first was uh, got got upset that I that I that I perceived her as being being self centered, and she started well I'm just telling you how I feel well, yes and you're telling me how you feel and I'm telling you how uh, how I feel about okay, what I, you're saying. I, you, you can't no stop it stop it. Stop putting all this fog into something that is actually quite simple and clear. Fog don't get you bananas. Fog is just a anxiety management in the moment. Emotionally exhausted apes don't get the bananas. I wasn't emotionally exhausted then. I'm, I'm, I'm now. That is she why emotionally I... exhausted you. Which means you failed the shit test. Which means when she simulated the big, bad, mean, other ape gorillas going for the bananas world... You folded. No. Yes. Uh, if, 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 uh, you uh, are emotionally exhausted now. You wrote her a letter. For you, God's sakes, how beta can you be? Are you referring to her breaking up with me, moving back to her own apartment as a shit test? No, that's after you fail. I'm not saying that this is the right woman for you. I, oh God, what the hell do I know? And I'm not talking that this is how every aspect of relationship should be run. But you need to be aware of the basic biological facts. See, all right, um, you weren't raised by a single mother by any chance, were you? No, no, nothing like that. Okay. And in the relationship between your mother and your father, uh, how did your father generally behave? Uh, usually quite passively. Right. And... Um, do you think that had any effect on you? Probably, yes. Probably? Come on, man. How long have you been listening to this show? Are you a total newbie? No, I've listened to your show for quite a few years. Okay, so you've listened to my show for quite a few years. So why are you giving me this bullshit non-answer called probably? When your father, your father's interactions with your mother, and I say, do you think that had any effect on you? And you give me a weak-ass answer like Probably. Of course it hadn't had an effect on you. I didn't say, is it the only effect, or is it 100% of an effect, or, right? But you're giving me probably. Why are you giving me probably? Well, everything has an effect. It's just, uh... Oh, come on, man. Okay, it... Gravity has an effect. Yeah, the moon has so, an effect. So it... But we're talking about passivity in relationships. Yes. Uh... Did your father's passivity have an effect on you in relationships? If you're... Uh... No, uh, not 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 that I have noticed because I haven't been passive in relationships. You haven't been passive in relationships. No. You know you're being passive in your relationship with me here, right? Maybe. Right. See, probably, maybe this is all passive stuff. You won't take a stand, and apes who don't take stands don't get bananas. Eggs. Uh, sorry, um, and, and eggs don't want 
apes that don't get bananas. But that, that's the thing. So you hedge, you fog, I maybe mean, in, this, possibly, probably. Nothing is firm, nothing is fixed. In the relationship, I took stands all the time. That was the, that was the, that was the thing. That is, that is one, one of the th- things that she, uh, she reacted well to. And that is why it came. Oh, so hang on. So what you're saying, hang on. So what you're telling me, and what I think you're lying to me about, if you don't mind me saying so, I'm I probably, do, probably I do. do. I'm not saying you're consciously lying about it, but what I'm saying is that you were raised with a passive father. You're being completely passive and manipulative with me in this conversation, but somehow with your girlfriend, who also complained about your passivity, you were totally different, right? Is that what you're trying to tell me? That is what I'm saying. Yes. That's not true. Can't be true. Well, like, like I told you before. You don't even know the degree to which your passive father affected your passivity. If, if You're being passive with me. Your father was passive. You've not explored it. You've not examined it. You won't even acknowledge that your father was passive and it had a huge effect on you. You're being completely passive with me. Your girlfriend complained about your passivity. And now you're trying to sell me the story that you were not passive with her? Come on. If you want to call a less intelligent host, then you need to call a less intelligent host. But you can't sell that stuff to me. Well, like I said, the, 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 the signs that she, she saw as being, being, being passive was, for instance, that, that uh, I followed her when she went, grabbed a few items in the store. Okay. And, well, and you, I don't uh, have anything. I don't, look, honestly, I don't have anything particular to add here. I think I've certainly exhausted my capacity to try and communicate um, because we're, just, we're not able to have any kind of connection here. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I just feel that you're just – my experience is that this is – I feel like I'm putting a lot of energy and information out and uh, you just keep absorbing all of this and going off in other directions and I don't think being particularly honest or forthright with me. So this, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's sort of my experience. Um, so I think I'm going to have to move on to uh, the next caller. But um, I certainly um, – sounds like you could have dodged kind of a bullet here. And uh, these things that I'm saying about men and women, it's not the only thing that matters, and it's certainly not how a relationship should be fundamentally organized or dealt with, but it is important. It's important to know. You know, if, if, if you're going to be in a relationship with a woman that is around sex and procreation, marriage and children, then you need to know how biology works. And that doesn't mean that you then have to – that's the only thing that matters. So that's the only way you organize your relationship. But we, we need, do need to have a knowledge. And there's a huge amount of energy that has been put into um, the world that is, obs- that is designed to obscure basic biological realities from men. And, and, and you, see, you see this all the time. I mean, God, just look at magazines aimed at women. It is all about making them look younger and more fertile. Why? Because that gets them more bananas. I mean, looking at women's magazines and thinking that biology does not drive sex and romance is like looking at car magazines and being surprised that there are cars in them. Just it doesn't make any sense. It is a foundational part. Now, of course... Women don't want men to know that aspect of things. They don't want to know how women focus on appearance. They don't want men to know how shallow some of this stuff is. It's 
it's deep biologically, but it's shallow when it comes to relationships. Because, of course, now we live far longer than we're supposed to. And so you can't have a relationship based on lust. I mean, most women would die in childbirth long before they hit menopause in the, you know, or would die of tooth decay or something like that. So now we need deeper standards, of course, because we have longer lives and you need a quality of personhood to be um, – uh, to to be in a relationship with for you know thirty forty fifty sixty years, but um, this basic trade of eggs for resources uh, is 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 foundational and fundamental for men to understand. And the reason I asked about the single mother thing, and it sounds like you weren't you weren't raised by a single mother, but you were raised by a dominant mother. Um, the reason why single moms single moms have failed at this. Right, single moms don't like to talk about trading eggs for resources because they have failed at it. Right, they they chose the wrong guy. Right, because everybody wants Brad Pitt and everybody wants I don't know whatever is considered to be the most attractive female these days, Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know whatever whatever it is. Everybody wants those things, but so what? Everybody wants to win the lottery too, but you don't get that those choices. We all have to make compromises. You know, if you want to know how attractive you are as a human being. Just look at your spouse or look at your girlfriend. That's probably how attractive you are, right? Sevens are with sevens, eights are with eights, blah, blah, blah. And it just generally works out that way until you get older because a man's numbers keep going up as he gains more resources if he's ambitious and, and uh, hardworking. His resources go up. So biologically, in terms of resources, men start low and then keep climbing higher and higher. Whereas um, – and until they're in their 60s or whatever and then the problem is, you know, who wants to take care necessarily of a man who's falling apart? But – and a woman starts very high and gets lower, right? So the, the woman's curve of value sexually goes down and a man's curve of value sexually goes up, which is why men are horny and frustrated when they're younger and women are horny and frustrated when they're older. I mean it's just the way that it works and um, it, it is important to – I think it's fundamentally important to to understand this stuff and uh, – a woman, of course, is she. Her value is immediate, right? So a woman's sexual value is, you know, uh, here's my hip to waist ratio, here's my lustrous hair, here's my clear skin, here's my even features. You know, all the stuff that indicate good fertility potential. That's right there. Now, of course, a man is taking a bit of a roll of the dice. The woman could be infertile. She might have endless miscarriages, endometriosis. Who knows, right? But those are pretty strong indicators of um, uh, of fertility. And so uh, the the, the woman's is pretty much right there. You can see it. But the woman has to bet on the man gaining more resources throughout life. In other words, she has to figure out – a man has to look and say, nice tits or whatever it is right now. But a woman has to look at the man and say, how much money are you going to be making in 10 or 15 or 20 years? And so she needs to figure out what kind of capacity he has for adversity, what kind of capacity he has for dominance, what kind of capacity he has to win at the expense of others. Because remember, we evolved when I get a banana, you don't. Not this win-win capitalist, blah 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 That's ridiculously recent. It's like 150, 200 years old, max. Our evolution, I mean, goes back millions of years. Hundreds of millions, you know, all the way back really to the <laughs> beginning of, of, of life. So the woman has to figure out, is the man going to be able to mount the hierarchy, get the resources, and win against other very competitive males? And that's hard to do because she's got to marry him when he's broke 
and she's got to have kids with him when he gets more money. Now, he marries her when she's already young and pretty and fertile. But she's got to figure, all right, we have kids in five years. What's his income going to be like then? You know, is, is he going to be like that guy in the John Cougar song? He's got a greasy hair, a greasy smile. He says, Lord, this must be my destination. The guy working at a gas station. Well, that's not going to give her enough bananas to raise kids. And so women need to test the man's character to find out if he is strong-willed, if he is dominant. So she has to simulate the world of the future to figure out if he can pass the test of mounting the hierarchy and getting more resources, right? So this is why there's the shit test, which is the woman is going to be difficult and, and, and she wants the man to be assertive without being aggressive. And she wants the man to stand up for what he believes in and she wants the man to, to not accede to her because if he accedes to her, if he appeases her, then she knows that he's going to let the other guys get the bananas and then her kids are going to go hungry and then her sexual desire, quite rightly so, turns off, right? It, it turns off like a candle under a waterfall. Oh, shit. Sorry, eggs. He can't get enough bananas. We got to reorient ourselves. So women will talk about wanting you to be nice. And of course they do, right? Of course they do. I mean, they want you to be out there uh, <laughs> like Genghis Khan, you know? Like, I mean, not anymore, right? Genghis Khan was incredibly successful sexually. But they don't want you to be out there like Genghis Khan, you know, raping and pillaging and you know, all this sort of horrible stuff, right? I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, great. They want you to be nice, but their eggs need you to be assertive and just get the fucking bananas. Get me some bananas. Eggs need bananas. Sorry. Kids got to eat. Mommy can't do it. She's breastfeeding. She's got more kids. She's pregnant. She can't get the bananas. You got to go get the bananas. And it's tough for women. They want a man who's attractive enough that he's going to commit to them, but not so attractive that he's going to get stolen by other women, right? And so, yeah, you know, the... the uh, Overcompliance and appeasement and passivity and submission and so on? Well, that's just a big giant vagina deactivation button. I mean that you know, the eggs just like wall up that hole, man. Can't let those sperm in. Those sperm aren't even gonna be able to swim up if you're standing up. That would be only if they're upside down, they'll slide down the chute and find an egg, but they don't even sound like they got the strength to climb. And God forbid you're on a trampoline. <laughs> It's not going to happen at all. So um, I would just suggest that um, uh, recognize that for, for, for what it is. And it, it's, perfectly, it's perfectly rational from a biological standpoint. It makes perfect sense. And uh, um, aggression towards women, you know, uh, aggression towards anyone, I mean, which is the initiation of, of force or bullying. I mean, that's not what women want because then, you know, then what's going to happen is if you're hyper-aggressive towards women or aggressive towards women, they're scared. Their eggs are scared. They're going to be aggressive towards the children. And if you're overly aggressive towards the children, the children are going to end up being broken and passive, right? So they want assertiveness, but they don't want aggression. And they do need to test you. I mean, look, if, if a man could magically test a woman's fertility before marrying her, he would do that too. And if a, man, if a woman could look through the, the portal of time and figure out what the man's resource acquisition is going to be like in 10 or 20 years, she'd do that too. But she can't. So you have to simulate that stuff. And the man's simulation is looking at all the physical markers of a woman's fertility 
and crossing his fingers. And the woman's methodology of figuring out the man's capacity to get resources is to be difficult and to see how you react. And if you react in an assertive way but without reacting in an aggressive way, then her eggs are like, oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, we got Banana Fest coming. He's going to go out and win, but he's not going to beat the crap out of us either. So, yay! Hallelujah! Unleash all the hormones, and here comes the tsunami of lubricants. So, anyway, moving on to the next caller. Who, Mikey, doth we have in? Up next is Jonathan. Jonathan wrote in and said, What do you do if your romantic partner can never admit that they are wrong? <laughs> Uh, jetpack time, baby. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. W- w- what can you do if you, <laughs> if your podcast conversation partner won't ever admit anything? But anyway, okay. Um, oh, uh, Jonathan, okay, you can turn ahead. off your video, but uh, unless you're naked, we can't hear you though, Jonathan. Can you? Uh... All right, mime it. Mike will translate. Got to hit the unmute button. Hello, my name is Jonathan. Oh, there we go. I think Steph is dead sexy. Sorry? Oh. oh, did he actually unmute? Okay, that's even better. He has three bananas. Oh, Jesus And five coconuts, but they're very small. You are such a lunatic. It sounds unbelievable. <laughs> hey, man. All I can tell you is after days spent begging for bananas, <laughs> it's nice to be talking about bananas. Uh, I watched your, um, oh, God, that video today. That I just, I had to send you a message, man. It's just bananas, you know, just, you're just, I think it's great because obviously I don't know what it is you do and how you can do that, but you can marry being nuts with being really clever. I don't, I don't get that. Wait, which video are you talking about? Um, fuck it. Oh, fuck evil. Fuck evil. That's the one. Jesus Christ. Fuck evil. I can't fuck believe it. it. I love the fuck it without the comments. Uh, you know, Stefan, this is not a well-formulated syllogistic argument. I uh, just want to inform <laughs> you of that. Yes, yes, we know. We're aware. Really? Thank you. I was like, I know, because I'd always said, you know, you're not a lunatic. I know all these people think you're crazy, and I was like, nah, I take it back. You are. You're yeah, you're yeah. bananas. <laughs> Crazy like a fox, baby. <laughs> like crazy measured doses, you know. <laughs> now, hang on, Jonathan. I got to ask you a question before we start. Yeah. Why are you inflicting on the rest of the planet two extra syllables when John is perfectly fine? Like, what is that? Because Jonathan's my name. Oh come on! I'm Jay to my friends. Jay. All right. Okay. No, it's just like this woman I semi dated in high school. No, no, it's not. It's not. Andrea, it's Andrea. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Has vagina, therefore syllable adoption is complete. All right. I have a sister uh, exactly the same thing. You know, oh, really? Yeah, don't you dare call me. Don't you dare call me Becky. My name is Rebecca. Right. <laughs> yeah, when I was in, uh, when I was teaching, well, not teaching, when I was a teacher's assistant at a daycare, there was a re- woman who... She said, same thing, don't, don't call me Becky, my name is Rebecca. And I said, how do you spell that? And she said, well, blah, 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 and there's an H at the end. So for how long exactly did I call her, hey, Rebecca, <laughs> do you think, how long do you think that, that went on? 
it, you know, entirely too long to, to remain funny, but still remain deeply satisfying for a number. Rebecca, <laughs> it's time for you to come in. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a good thing I'm over all that pettiness, though. <laughs> what a change that's been. Whew. All right. All right, so. Um, basically, I have been thinking really long and hard about what kind of a woman I should be around. I... Not your mother. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I'm, I'm seeing that ACE score of eight, man. I'm telling you, I'm sorry about all that. I just wanted to mention that up front. Nothing you can do about it, mate. I wasn't in control. I can say that I'm sorry. Yeah. I can say that I'm sorry that it happened. I mean... Just for those who don't know, adverse childhood experience, we've got verbal abuse, threats, physical abuse, non-spanking, no family, love, or support, neglect, not enough food, dirty clothes, no protection or medical treatment, parents divorced, physical abuse towards female adult, lived with alcoholic or drug user, household member, depressed, mentally ill, or suicide attempt. So other than an attack of killer robots and nose bats, basically you had it as bad as bad as it could be, and I'm, I'm incredibly sorry for that. Oh, trust me, I've seen people who've had it worse. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. Don't, don't give me the Monty it. Python skit. No, don't give me that. Uh, could have been worse. Just a flesh wound. No, no. No, that's bad stuff, man. You should have seen the other guy. No, no, no. No, it was pretty no, bad. Sorry, it was pretty man. bad. I mean, in and out of um, therapy when I was a kid, and I mean really a small kid, um, when I started a business at 27, I went into therapy because I was having like a lot of anxiety and I've always been a bit of a bird bandit. So, you know, you're around a lot. Of a bird bandit. Sorry. Birds who though, who don't know is what uh, British men call young and attractive ladies. Is that, it's gotta be, is it, they're like 50 year old birds. I guess they're out, right? Uh, no, 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 that's a turkey. Okay. Gobble. Got it. <laughs> but, I spent all this time in therapy trying to kind of figure out why I was not settled because I was very happy when I was sort of 18, 19. But as I got into working and being responsible and whatever else, and also I had a couple of kids by then, um, I found that I was experiencing trouble. And so the counseling helped me to kind of let the steam out. When I hit 35, yeah, yeah. um, I had a bit of a problem because one of my daughter's mothers died. Um, uh, what? One of your daughter's mothers died? Yeah. I, I had two kids, different women, three years apart. and Were they married? Were you married to them? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. I, I just got caught when I was young. You know. What, you got sperm jacks? What are you talking about? No, I mean, I didn't have particularly good male role models, and I never listened particularly to the female role models that were around. Therefore, I would go bareback, and I didn't even think about it. And I'd go and test myself once every couple of months and take some pills to get rid of whatever it was. Do you see what I mean? Oh, you mean like uh, STDs? Yeah. Right. You know, And then when we got pregnant, right? Yeah. Basically, I, I, you know, 21, I got caught, and then 20, 24, 23, I got caught again. And it was like, okay, well, fair enough, you know. I didn't know my own father, so I'm going to be in these women's faces about my children. And that's how I've been all the way through the children's lives. 
Actually, I think technically, if you'd been in the women's faces, you wouldn't have had kids. But that perhaps is a story for another time. But uh, go well, ahead. no, because that that actually isn't a story for another time. It's, it it all feeds into this story. Actually, that was just an oral sex joke, but uh, it may have uh, it may have uh, not been a very good oral sex joke. But go ahead. My forehead. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, technically, if it had been over their forehead, anyway, we don't have to go into that <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> It's a Jackson Pollock painting of not children. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, so um, anyway, um, lots and lots of counseling up to 35 when I was advised, look, you've got this situation where you're going to have to take a deep plunge. The stuff that's bothering you is pretty deep and you need to go deep. So I said, okay, let the kids finish school. And I was at that point in control of both young women's lives. Both my daughters lived with me at that time. And why did they live with you? Um, on the one hand, um, my younger my younger daughter's mother had died of cancer. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, yeah, it's a pretty horrible, horrible story, actually. But the younger mother's mother had died, and the older mother had had a baby at 19, therefore had never been anywhere, therefore had a friend in Bolivia or Guatemala, or I don't bloody know where, but she decided to turn up at my office one day, you know, with the kid in a bag, I'm going for a trip and I didn't see her again for three years. So, um, I had both girls living with me. So I needed to kind of work a little bit less cause I'm a bit of a workaholic and I had to, um, learn how to raise girls. Now the good thing is I have a lot of women in my family, but the bad thing is most of them are crazy. Yeah, yeah. The bad thing they're in your family. Right. Got it. <laughs> Got it. So, <clears throat> I mean, I was dealing with drama that I wasn't equipped to handle. And so I was in therapy with my girls all the time. Um, right. So when they turned sort of 17, 18 and, you know, decided to do what they wanted to do and not really listen to me, I thought, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, you know, go deep. And I moved to Plymouth, which is a tiny little town in the south east western corner, and no one's going to bother you. And I went deep, and it took me years. I mean, years. I don't know why people talk about therapy like, oh, you should take some therapy. Let me tell you something. Finding a decent therapist is a nightmare. Mm. Finding a decent therapist who doesn't cost £150 an hour is a nightmare. Right, right. You know, going through the process is a nightmare because, I mean, I thought I'd found, found a decent therapist, but the guy I was with, I fell off a cliff and he had no tools to pull me back up. Mm. I had three and a half years of deep depression. Right. I mean, it's taken me six and a bit years to get myself together, get back to work, get the company working, start earning a bit of money. I'm starting to get myself together. But now I'm looking at the world and I don't completely understand it anymore. Yeah. I used to be a bird. Yeah, because you, you, you think you go to therapy to get better like everyone else is, right? Like, you, like, like, you know, if I break my leg, I, I go to physio so I can get my leg to work back like everyone else's does, right? And like mine did before. But that's not how therapy works. Therapy, if you really go deep, and I did years of 
deep therapy. If you really go deep, you emerge and you're not like anybody else. You're not like the broken people who know they're broken and you're sure as hell not like the broken people who don't even know that they're broken. And you basically have become a superhero. And people don't – this is why – you know, when I invite people to come into therapy, I'm like, hey – Join Professor X or whatever the hell his name is. Come to the school for superheroes because you then have the same relationship to ordinary humanity as superheroes do to everyone else. It doesn't. Feel like you don't go to therapy to be like everyone else. You go in therapy to get superpowers. It doesn't feel like that at the moment. But then again, as I say, I'm only now emerging out of it. So it doesn't feel well, like that's no, and you. And the reason I I know that is because you said I don't quite understand the world anymore, and I would argue that that's not true. You you do understand the world, but you understand more deeply now why it's broken and how you were so harmed as a child, and that it was it was the world as a whole. Like we all, we always start looking at our families and saying, "Shit, my family was a the dung heap of fiery Satan farted dysfunction." And then you say, well, you know, but when I deal with my family, I deal with my family issues, break out of this dysfunction, whew, I'm like a dinosaur coming out of the egg into the fresh air. I'm coming out of the noxious fumes into the clear air. Oh, I'm coming out of the caves and into the sunlight. Beautiful, right? And then you keep climbing out. You keep climbing out. And you're like, well, the air's not getting particularly clear yet. <laughs> I guess I'll just keep going. Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, it's like – and then you realize that your family was a symptom of society. That it's not like, hey, there's this great sane society out there. Too bad your family was dysfunctional. But don't worry. You get out of that family orbit of dysfunction. You're, oh, man, all these healthy people will be out there. Oh, dear. Oh, gosh. I guess that's an illusion that keeps you going. But it sure as shit ain't true. Because my family was fucked up because society allowed it to be fucked up. And society encouraged it to be fucked up. And society enabled it to be fucked up. And society supported it in being fucked up. And society needed it to be fucked up. And so you emerge from the dysfunction of your society. Sorry, you emerge from the dysfunction of your family and you think, ah, great. I'm back, baby. Hey, let's go join all the healthy people. Hello. 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 Echo. 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 It's like, oh, my God. I was raised by zombies. Oh, look, I've cured myself of Zombieville, and I am now going to crawl up into season 666 of The Walking Dead. There's zombies everywhere. So. <laughs> the illusion is that it's your family that's dysfunctional. No. No, that is the illusion. I know. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. And I broke out of the madhouse into a bigger madhouse. Because oh. now they think I'm mad. Yeah, I start yeah, a conversation with anybody, almost not not everybody, but I start I start talking to people that I've known for years, and they think, "Oh, something's happened to him. He's weird." It's not that I'm weird; yeah. it's just that I can see shit now that I would never have seen 20, 15 years ago. I'm from the future, but I can't tell you that. <laughs> so, <laughs> buy Apple. <laughs> I mean, it's like, seriously, that's what it feels like. I, I mean, I see the future so clearly and how we need to get there. I literally feel like I came back through a tunnel in time to primitives, you know? Yeah. I feel like the giant yes. obelisk in 2001. Yes. You know? And it's horrible because I did all this stuff so that I could be normal. And now 
I'm not. That is weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's not normal. It's um, it's uh, superhuman. I I I I used to have five girlfriends a week, literally. You know, it was not unusual for a Friday night. I'd have one in the house, another one would turn up at the door. I'd turn her away. Then an hour later, another one would turn up. I was terrible. I've had. Three- okay, how big is your banana? Like, I gotta know. Like, yes. what are we talking here? This, I do all right. I do alright. You like you get into a hot <laughs> a hot bath after a long day and just unwind. <laughs> I just I, I mean no okay so so how because I I find that amazing. I mean I dated a fair number of women in my life, but this like five a week kind of thing Easy. I've heard tell of it. Easy. Okay, so how how do you? I mean I'm not recommending this because I, I'm glad that you know we're not in the same room because cross, you must just like sneezing cross, herpes. But what women would cross the street and get hit by cars to come and talk to me? You know, I, uh, are you like stunningly good looking? Is there? No, I'm. I, I don't think I'm particularly good looking, but you know, I'd be handing over my dry cleaner at cleaning, and she'd be giving me her number. I used to get into trouble with it with women all the time. Full head of hair. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, that'll do it. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> There's some cheddar, baby. Oh, I tell you, go on bald. Best oh, thing ever happened to me, but that's another story. It was even worse when I was in my mid-30s because, you know, I, in the middle of Islington, I got a nice car. Well, I had three nice cars, and I, I, I had fun. And it was, it, was, it was interesting the way that people, when you grow up in Hackney on a housing estate, and then you in the middle of Islington and you got a nice house and you got a couple of nice cars and people know you because you've got a local business there for 10 years. Suddenly, I was noticing that it was even worse than it had ever been when I was in my 20s. And then I had to stop because I was in therapy. And now, I can't go out with these beautiful young Jessica Rabbits I see around me because they're idiots. And... Yeah, they're, they're, they're not just drawn that way. They are bad. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, I'd still like to sleep with them, but now I know that there are consequences to sleeping with them. Right. So I can't go and do that. So I thought, okay, let's start dating some, some, some mature women who are grown-ups, and I'm having trouble there too, but not as sure. much trouble as I had when I was a kid, and I certainly don't do it eight, nine, ten a month. Now it's, you know, one every few months I'll have a look, I'll try to see, I'll try to work it out, and if I can't work it out, then I'll walk away. Um, right. Which is massive for me, because I've been a slag fit for my whole my entire life. Yeah, I mean, you're a crack addict. <laughs> no, am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call it crack. I mean, I mean, it is a crack. But... <laughs> <laughs> the crack of doom. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no, I mean, women are beautiful creatures. I mean, God, dear, how could you not? I mean, there's nothing better in the world. I've had a Ferrari. There is nothing better than a woman. Yeah, beautiful creatures, what you mean. Uh, I, I don't want to get too crude. Anyway, that's probably not the, uh, They're beautiful. They're not the direction we want to take it anyway. wonderful creatures. It's just that a lot of... No, no, wonder, no, wonderful and gorgeous, not the same thing. Well, in fact, often quite opposite, right? Well, I mean, no, you talk about your wife and I'm like, wow, you know, does she have a sister? But at the end of the day, I'm like, what would I do with such a woman? Right. No, but listen, listen, I mean, (laughs) 
giving beauty to a young woman is like giving the presidency to an 18-year-old young man. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean, how, how well do young people handle power? Yeah, not well. Not well. Yeah, not well at all. And that's never going to change. I mean, it's, uh, the, 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 the drug of egg proximity will forever destroy the <laughs> rational capacities of men. <laughs> No, and it's it's not you know it's not a good compliment to the character of women that a man's brain has to shut down when in proximity of sexual access. <laughs> For God's sakes, don't think. I don't know. I always. I mean, I I think I just wasn't thinking. Period. For a period of like twenty years, I did not think about anything. Not really. Right. You know, I didn't know how. Well, no, but you were programmed for a reproductive strategy that's promiscuous. Well, I mean, not having a father, I tell you, that yeah. really is. I mean, I heard that on your show, and I, I had to agree. And you know, you know what not having a father says to your balls? Not particularly, no. What not having a father says to your balls is, hey, man, hey, my fellow castanet of reproduction, no father means that men are in very short supply, which means I can bang lots of women because there's a shortage of men, probably because of war. And therefore, right, I mean, why would, why was there the swinging 20s after the war? There was a swinging 20s after the war because a lot of men got killed. Mm-hmm. Right, the 1920s. So, so if you have no dad around, what that says is that there's probably not a lot of men around. And so you can be the cock of the walk, right? You can be the sultan with a harem. And that's your reproductive strategy. And your reproductive strategy is, like me, in Unreal Tournament, spray and pray. <laughs> Let's lob some grenades over the ledge and call it skill. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a sort of basic biological reason as to why you pursued the sexual life that you pursued. It's not, you know, it's partly dysfunction, but it's also just partly that's the way it works biologically. So what do I do now? I mean, I'm like... Okay, let's, let's get to the woman who can't admit she's wrong. Well, I mean, sorry to interrupt. Basically, I was just looking hard. Now, this is a woman I've known for many, many, many years. And when I lived in LA, you know, she and I got on really well. And it's just a case of I'm trying to kind of find out about her now. I know that she's a good person. I've known for many years. You know, you keep to keep in touch. She's How person. do you know she's a good person? I'm not saying she's not. I'm just oh, every you know, every couple of years we'd get into a really big fest of sort of emails and whatever else to try and catch up. You know, and I've always respected the hell out of her, which is actually quite difficult um, when you're a bird bandit to respect a woman and not lay your lay, lay your paws on her. Uh, I respect you so much. I'm keeping my radioactive penis far from your hoochie. <laughs> Got, Got it. But no, it's true. I mean, she said the other day um, when I lived in Marina del Rey, we slept in the same bed several times, and I never laid a finger on her. Now that's not my mo. You know, I would stay up all night with a woman. Have you no pity? You know, I will die if I don't get to make love to you. You know the story. And I, Oh, yeah, if pussy begging. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I would do whatever I had to do. If I had to say that I was green and I had eight hands, I would say it. <laughs> but, but my penis is sad. Look, it's almost crying. <laughs> but, I mean... The little vagina at the end of my penis is weeping. Yeah, if, All right. you know, if I had to take her to a concert, if I had to take her to a restaurant, if I had to take... 
didn't matter what I had to do as long as I got what I was after. Yeah, yeah. And then you forget their names the next morning. But um, I never did that with her. And I thought that was kind of cool. And now the boyfriend that she's... Did she have, what did she think? Hang on. What did she think of your of your endless uh, egg hunting? Like a lot of my women friends, they think I'm hilarious. You know, I've got many women friends I've known for 20 plus years. I've never touched them. And they think I'm hilarious, but they also have never... I've never actually turned my, my gaze upon them, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, you've never fastened them with your basilisk gaze that causes bras to burst into flames. I got it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, they seem immune, but I've never actually tried anything. So, I mean, she's... But she's not just an ordinary friend. I've always had great respect for her. Yeah, actually, that's not opposite to a friend, but okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, she's not just like a friend. I actually have respect for her. Uh, I think that she yeah, may you be see, referring to I, your I conquests. I was 30 right. before I learned that you needed to admire and respect your friends. I was 30. I thought that your friends were just people who were in proximity to you. Right. I didn't, right. I didn't know that you had to respect them. I mean, I read a book a while ago where it said that, you know, the person that you respect the most, you know, is probably your wife. The person you admire the most is probably your wife. I'm like, Jesus, both of them? Who admires and respects a woman? Where is such a woman? Well, no, but the reality is that a woman who respected herself would not sleep with you, right? Uh, yeah, basically, I think so. I mean... I mean, just out of medical necessity, pretty much. I mean, I mean unless I mean, she had an you, IUD you, that was pretty much a space shuttle. How do, you, how do you explain all the ones who fell into the bed then? I don't know what means fell into the rest. Fell into the fell into that? my bed. Oh, well, they were women who wouldn't have self-respect, right? Really? All of them? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Look, I mean, you are a player, which and you slept with a lot of people, so biologically you're a suspect, right? I mean, for STDs and stuff, right? And no, you said that you I'm had not. STDs. I was always very responsible about going and taking my pills. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So from that standpoint, um, and, and also a woman with self-respect would very quickly f- figure out that you did not sleep with women you respected. And, and in fact, not respecting the woman was fundamental to your sexual drive. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there were women that I was friends with and there were women who were tough. Absolutely. Right. So the women you slept with, would be it would be an insult to their character that you would sleep to them with them, right? Well, I didn't see it quite like that. No, but that's the way it was, because I just asked you, I, I just said that you didn't respect the women that you slept with. No. Right, so it is, enough. so basically, your penis is the, it's like those, um, what do they call it, dousing? You know, where you hold the... The, the, <laughs> the rock, the stick. The forked stick, right? It's like, <laughs> I can find water under the ground. It's like, I can find low self-esteem around the pussy. <laughs> I can find daddy issues like mine. Here we go. Right. No, no, you, you're like uh, Luke Skywalker. Why is he turned off his his sensors? Why is he turned off his sensor? I'm using the force of history to send the torpedoes down the hole. I, I right. wish I'd given it that much thought. I really didn't. I was just a dog. No, of course you didn't. I, I hadn't given it any thought other than how do I get out of the fact that I'm seeing Susan and I'm with Jenny? No, because the, deepest, look, the, the way it looks, the way it looks to a woman of self-esteem is is exactly the same as if if you knew a man in business who only went into business with idiots he could cheat. 
And then he said, hey, I really want to go into business with you. You Wouldn't wouldn't you that think that's kind of an insult? Oh, she's not insulted. Who? The girl I'm talking about. She's not insulted. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the... Sorry, I'm talking about the women who laughed at you, the women who you respected. You know, if if you say I only sleep with women who have no self-respect uh, deep down, then if you say I want to sleep with you, you're saying I judge you to have no self-respect. I'd like to say and so, it was never that deep. I, no, I just instinctively would leave certain women alone. Sure, sure. No, I get it. But, I mean, if you look back, I, I'm sure you'd find that pattern. Mm. I mean, yeah. Every now and then. Because the only thing, look, the only thing these women had to offer was sexual attractiveness and availability, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, you'd go, you'd have fun with them for a couple of weeks, and then it was over. You know, if it lasted, sure. if it lasted two weeks. Right. Right. So, so they didn't have anything of value to offer from a virtue standpoint, from a integrity or uh, a courage or honor or bravery or honesty or but like they weren't. These are not qualities I ever saw anywhere until I started looking for them. Right. Well, and, and also till you went deep and were able to achieve them yourself. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so is it a current woman who can't admit that she's wrong or someone? Yeah. Else? I mean, basically, I was doing the. Um due diligence you know i mean all right we've known each other for years but let's get serious you want to have a kid your eggs are probably not in great shape since you're over 40 so let's stop seriously let's cross your fingers and hope you don't get a a raptor or something (laughs) right please nothing with scales that breathes fire okay no but i mean you know if i had to choose and uh, you know i said this to her if i had to choose i'd choose a, a woman like that because She's a sensible person. She's a loving person. She's got a great family. I think it was my meeting her family that made me realize how screwed up mine was. You know, so it was like, okay, so what do I do? So I'm starting to talk to her. I'm starting to try to get to know her. And I come across, oh, okay, you're running a strategy where you want a kid, but you've managed to get to 41 years old and you don't have one yet. So something's off. So let's talk about that. Oh, whoa. You know, so we start talking about it, but then I start touching nerves. I'm, I'm pretty clear on touching the nerves, so I back off. And I thought, okay, well, if I have a kid with this woman, it's going to be 20 years before that deal is done. I mean, that's an awful lot of work. It's an awful lot of mucking about with children. It's an awful lot of getting on with other people. So it's, and it's if a you big raise job. a kid right, it's never done. Yeah, right? it's a big job. Then... I mean, I've just raised two kids. It's a big job. If I'm going to yeah, choose, and and of course, if sorry, if you if you raise your kid, you stay close and all that. Your kid's going to need advice, uh, feedback. The kid's going to have kids. You're going to be a grandparent. I mean, that deal is never done. Yeah, it's a big deal. Right. Therefore, yeah. if I'm running into a stall situation when I'm trying to just do the basic due diligence, how sensible is this idea? Probably not very sensible. Okay, so give me a, a practical example of how she can't admit she's wrong. Okay. One of those points was, okay, you're going out with this bloke for six years. Why did you keep... Her last boyfriend. Yeah. Why did you go out okay. for six years? Oh, because, um, you know, I liked him. Okay, yeah, but six years. You're 32, then 33, then 34, etc., etc. Why are you continuing to go out with this man? Because I assumed it was all going to work out. But at 36, you would have known that it isn't going to work out. So why have you continued? 
because um 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 and then that's when I this is a cool thing. My mother would hit me with whatever was nearby. Literally, she'd grab a chair and hit me with it, a frying pan. Yeah. Um, girlfriends I know would grab carving knives and throw them at me. Girlfriends? Yeah, seriously. Uh, wow. So this chick, you, when you had some expensive pussy, my friend. <laughs> like Holy said, crap! You know the funniest thing in the world is I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. For many pussy years, fun. Pussy with knives, <laughs> it's somewhat less fun. Mate, I, I thought that was completely normal. A woman freaks out and, and breaks a, a plate glass mirror. You don't think twice. It's normal. Right. You know, burns your clothes. It's normal. That's how I grew up. Your you had a, wait, you had a girlfriend who burned your clothes? <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> and, and, and not cheap stuff, neither. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> So I'm guessing it's not polyester, right? So because polyester would more just melt into a monochromatic slag. But okay, no. all right. So you you had some pretty pretty crazy. But you know, my mother was crazy. Therefore, it didn't it, it didn't it didn't mean anything. It was like, okay, you're crazy. So you know, it didn't it didn't matter. It's only until I met people who didn't do that to you that I was like, oh, okay, okay. So this woman has not. She, she, she taken any ownership for staying in the bad relationship or figured out why she did or the relationship. Exactly. Didn't work and out. even further, she there's no sensible reason for her wanting to do this with me now. There's a really annoying habit that I found women have, and I've only noticed it in the last couple of years, where they say, Oh, keep talking, keep saying that. Oh yeah, I'm liking that. Oh yeah, keep talking, keep talking. And you know that you're just What are you talking about? Like might, phone sex? I don't no, know what you're I saying. Might just, I might be describing what I think her character is. I might have said two sentences, but I've now touched and touched a good nerve. And they're like, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. And you're like, I don't want to keep talking because now. Oh, you hit the C spot, the yeah. compliment spot. Right? And, it's and they're like, like, oh, yeah, no, keep going. That's good. I, don't I like keep that. doing it because then I'm start making shit up and I start not being genuine. And then I'm yeah. doing it. And you don't want to be trained like some puppy, right? Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing that? And that's where she wants me to go. She doesn't want me to ask hard questions. She wants me to do the whole poetry thing. Read me nevermore, please. Right. And it's like, okay, are you going to tell me that after all this time, you're an idiot? All these years I thought you weren't an idiot? Mm. You are an idiot, aren't you? Oh, my God. And this is where I am. Right. Well, um, if she can't admit that she has any faults and she can't admit that she made a mistake staying in a relationship for six years during the waning years of her fertility when she wants kids, that is a very bad sign. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would not. Personally, I mean, I can't tell you what to do, obviously, you know that. But uh, that to me would be, uh, okay, so she's got baby rabies. I have some sperm and resources, and that is not – and she doesn't even have smart baby rabies. Like smart baby rabies would be to cover up her craziness until she got you married. But she's not even doing that. Oh, I would never marry. I I don't think I could ever marry anybody. Okay, but have a kid until she got knocked up, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's, you know, she should say, she should at least read some books and learn the right words to say, even if she doesn't believe them, to get pregnant. But she's not even willing to fake 
sane, right? She doesn't even know what the right things to say are. Right, right. And she's, but she doesn't even know that she doesn't know them, right? No, she doesn't know. Yeah, so uh, that's not uh, that's not a good sign. Yeah, I mean, this is this is relationship one hundred and one, right? I mean, the, when I used to hire people for business, say, well, what uh, you know, why did you leave your last job? It's an important question, right? And uh, yeah, why did why did your last relationship not work out, right? The only reason I know you're dating me is all of your prior relationships have failed. Now they've either failed because people stop liking you. In other words, when they know more about you than I do, they don't like you. Or they failed because you end up not liking them. In other words, you're willing to sleep with people and only then later find out you don't like them. And if it takes – look, if it takes her six years to figure out she doesn't like who, – who, who left who in the last relationship? Um, he moved to another town. He asked her to get with him, but <clears throat> she wouldn't go. Why not? Um I think he was a bit too beta, beta for her. I don't uh, I think she was a bit worried about how much money he would have and how stable his job might uh, be. Right, especially if she wants kids. That's obviously important, right? Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, she was very upset about that breakup. But she broke up with him, right? Um, well, I mean, yeah, by de facto. I mean, he moved and she stopped taking his phone calls. Right. Right, so it took her it took her six years to realize she didn't like him. No, I think it took My. her six years to get her, get get her finger out, basically, and that worries. To me. what? I mean, to do what? To get her finger out. I don't know what that means. This sounds like a breakup of a lesbian relationship. I don't know what what you're talking about. I, you've got you've got too colloquial for me, I'm afraid. Or maybe this emerged after. Yeah, you've been away from I me for too England. long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, um, basically, I, I think that... Plus, the weather sucks in the colonies. Anyway, go on. Oh, you can talk with minus 30 over there. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I think that um, instead of pushing the issue, she backed off. Instead of saying... Look, pushing, what, 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 pushing what issue? Well, the issue would have been, no, you stay your ass here in the town that they lived in. And whatever problems there are, we will work them out. That is the sensible way to have gone about it. But she didn't do Wait, I'm sorry. She didn't say to the guy, don't move. Yeah. But what, why did he move? Because he thought his career prospects might be better somewhere else. Okay, so he got a better job. No, no. So he, why, why would he stay? He was in a situation where his career was going nowhere in the city that they lived in. Right. Therefore... He moved in order to get better prospects somewhere else. But from what she tells me, he had spent the previous six years wondering and worrying about his career. So I would have. Okay, so she wants him to have more resources, and then when he moves to get more resources, she leaves him. Yeah, or he leaves and she doesn't go with him, and then. No, no, she leaves him. She leaves him. Wait, wait, could she not move? Is that right? Her job is. She could have moved. She could have moved. Okay, so she left him. Yeah. Right. So so here's another red flag. You know, I was concerned he wasn't making enough money. And then when he starts making more money, I leave him. Ah! It doesn't hold a lot. Can't win, don't try. I mean, I, I kind of thought she was okay on the 
I didn't want to move and be a thousand miles away with him when we were not in the greatest of places. But I'm like, well, if you're with him for six years, I mean, I've never done six years in a relationship, Christ. So if you're with someone for six years... You make, you make it sound like I've never, I've never done hard time with pussy. I've never, I've never been trapped in a cell with me and vagina for six years with no time off for good behavior because they'll shank you in your sleep, man. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> That's hard time, man. Yeah, I mean, That's the kind on, of time buddy. that turns you into Morgan I'm sorry, Freeman. I still, I don't have the experiences that you people have. You know, you people like them. You like them. You actually like the person. You're around her for years and you like her. I, I've never seen that. More and more, more and more every year. I, I, I see. I, I, I hear guys on your show talking about it. Oh, she left me. Oh, I'm like, wow. You when they when they leave me, I'm happy. Sure. sure. I've got more time for Xbox. Right. Right. Um, is that dysfunctional? Uh, is that dysfunctional? No. I mean, look. If you haven't met the woman that you can love, then that's the reality, right? That's yeah. That's what I figure. You know, it's like if I if I go whale watching. And there are no whales. Is it dysfunctional that I didn't see any whales? Nope. Went out finding whales. Couldn't find any whales. Not dysfunctional. It's just the way it is, right? And they are that rare, aren't they? Well, I think, of course, if you want to find a woman who is in a reasonable age bracket, who is single, who is wise, who is mature, who has pursued self-knowledge, who has some reasonable perhaps income or at least who's generous, who hasn't been infected by radical feminism, who, you know, yeah, we're starting to talk about some pretty serious unicorns. <laughs> Thank you for confirming that. No, they're, they're, look, I mean, how many, look, but it's not women. I mean, how many guys do you find around who you can have a meaningful conversation with? Yeah, it's not that many. It's not that many. It's not that many. But, but, but I mean, many. guys don't really talk to guys that often. I mean, I went to Innes. They do. Oh, I went to Interstellar. Oh, God, but, don't give me these stereotypes. Dude, I went to, to Interstellar the other day. Um, I was in the cinema, I'm watching a damn movie, I come out of the movie, and I'm like, what did I just watch? And then I ended up having a really good conversation with some guy, and we just ended up going to the pub and just drinking for a couple of hours and discussing the movie. Now, that was a rarity. Wait, wait, you had a, a philosophy pickup at a movie theater? I'm not gay. I said a philosophy pickup. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess we do, yeah. Good for you, <laughs> good for you. No, that's tough to pull off. Yeah, exactly. That that is that is tough to pull yeah. off. I mean, basically, you have to comment on nine women's boobs before doing that, so everybody knows you're not gay. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, good for you. No, that's tough. That's tough. I I remember trying to do a philosophy pickup in a sauna. I tell you, that didn't go too well. <laughs> anyway, that's perhaps a story for another time. <laughs> now that there's only two towels between us, let's talk Schopenhauer. Jesus, you are joking, right? No, I'm serious. <laughs> I did. Shall I add the steam, or shall you? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that when I was younger, my comprehension of basic simian social graces was not exactly optimal. Let's put it that way. Call me! <laughs> Did you discuss Plato's cave with him while in the sun? <laughs> you know what's true about all those Seriously, Greek I mean, you are philosophers. They were you know, we were a three dollar bill. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were fully clothed in a movie theater, and I was a bit dodgy about it. But dude, it's a, right, a right. towel. You're doing that. You are so. Yeah, let's say. Let, look, you know what? Let's say there was a towel. I think that makes the story 
less insane. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm really into the Greeks. <laughs> right. Uh, well, thanks though, because I mean, I mean, I feel bad because I mean, you know, she doesn't get to have a kid, which I think is really sad. But why, why is that sad? Well, because why should she have a kid? I mean, yeah, she, she should have had one by now, but. No, do you think she'd be a good mum? I think she'd be an excellent mum. You are mental. What? You're mental. Why? You know, not not at everything, but in this. Are you fucking kidding me? Listen, how much fun do you think, and I know I don't have to ask you theoretically, how much fun was it to be raised by a woman who could not admit she was wrong? Yeah, but my mother is vastly different from this person I'm talking about. Okay. I mean, how much fun is it to be raised by a woman vastly different than your mother who could never admit she was wrong? See, who never I takes was, ownership for anything that goes wrong? I was, who blames other people? I was fully expecting you to say something to me that would allow me to kind of circumvent her anxiety and tap into who she is. I, that's what wait, I expected. Wait, hang on, hang on. See you do it. Hang on, hang on. What do you mean, her anxiety? Well, obviously, I, I mean, there are four styles of communicating, intimidation, interrogation, poor me, and aloof. Now, she runs around on, on aloof. You and me are both interrogators. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on. Mightn't she just be a dick? No, she's clever. She's funny. She's sweet. No, no, I get that. Oh, no, I get that. Look, I mean, Robin Williams could be a dick, too. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, but maybe she just can't admit that she's wrong because she's kind of a dick. I don't mean that that's all she is. No, but this I mean, anxiety and all that, I mean, I get that. You know, if you're if you're 15 and you can't admit that you're wrong, yeah, okay, you got some issues, right? But if you're 41 and you can't admit that you're wrong... I mean, I'm saying... And you can't take ownership? Yeah, I'm saying to her, look, the strategy of being a mother has failed. Can we agree on that? And she wouldn't agree. What, she wouldn't agree that she... The strategy has failed, yeah. Does she feel like, like, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? There are invisible children around her that only she can see? I'm not... (laughs) I'm sorry, did you hear that? I think the baby's crying. I'm going to go and mime changing a nappy on a pineapple. I mean, what the hell does she think's happening? Are there children? So maybe, no. I mean, did you want children? But maybe, yes. But maybe so you failed at having children? No. What? Yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, this is anxiety making her do that. You know, it's anxiety. I'm about to succeed in my goal Am of I becoming might- the prima ballerina. Is that some some white knight shit where I'm kind of taking away her moral agency when I say that there's an excuse for her not answering a straight question? Does she really think that she has not failed in having children? Um, Because she's talking to me about having a child. Therefore, she's not failed. No, no, that's... Oh, no, 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 that's... No, but she she has failed to date in having a child. And 41 is, you know... Yeah, this is the point I was trying... 41 is... uh, I mean, there's there's Scotty down there worrying about the dilithium crystals exploding, right? I mean, she's really pushing the envelope. So she's like, she's really, you know, the the eggs cannot take the strain, Captain. I mean, she's really pushing the envelope, right? I mean, she's got she's got the Klingons of she's got the Klingons of dusty dead womb fast on her with phases on kill. I mean, that's that's really 
right on the edge, right? But see, that's the point. I'm like, look, you know, you need to be pregnant now, if not last year. So let's get this stuff out of the way. And we're hitting this 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 wall. And I have no idea. I mean, I see what the stakes are. I've known this person a long time. 17 years I've known her. So I know what the stakes are. What? Well, I don't know what you mean by the stakes. Well, if she doesn't have this child, then she probably won't have one. Right. So, and she will help other women thereby. Say again? Look, it's certainly true that the purpose of some people's life seems to be to serve as a warning to others. Hell, some of them have been on this show. I get you. So she'll be like, oh, I didn't have kids. And this and that. I spent my 30s with a guy and it didn't work out. Well, that's going to be very helpful. Her infertility can boost the fertility of other people. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make her feel very good, though, does it? And I, will, and I will forever. Well, no, I get it. I get it. And it doesn't make people who smoke and die of lung cancer feel real good about having smoked. But at least it scares the shit out of other people <laughs> who are smoking. <laughs> okay. I just I feel no. Listen, take what you want to pay for it. She stayed in an easy relationship. You say she's very intelligent. Did she not know that she had a fertility window? See, this is the thing about a lot of women. They seem to just not want to look at the light. What is that? You mean look at the light of like oncoming infertility? Yeah, reason. And this is not just. A- oh no, that's look. That's, that's I mean that's that's feminism. That that's that's feminism. That's Feminism 101. You go out and you have a career, and then maybe later you can have children. What a stupid thing to do that is, yeah, I'm in like, my opinion. You know, you've got 20 years to get this shit right. How are, you, how are you standing there at 41 going, I haven't failed in my mission? You have. Yeah, you have. And because God knows, I mean, 41, I mean, not if she's even fertile. I mean, she's going to face a long time to get pregnant. And uh, and the, the chances of Down syndrome, the chances of birth defects have gone up not a tiny amount. Seriously? Seriously? I mean, I've done some reading on it, but it is still kind of small percentage, am I right? Well, it's a hell of a lot bigger than it was in her 20s. Good point. Go on, right. Yeah, Mike, can you uh, can you look that up while we're – just look it up how, how – you know, let's say she gets pregnant at, at 42 or 43. You know, what's going for, for, for Downs and other birth defects? It's – you know, it's really uh, – first of all, the odds of her getting pregnant are pretty – well, they're not great. And, and also not having a miscarriage are not great. These eggs are you – know, you, know, <laughs> you know, you do that bachelor thing where – you smell the milk. <laughs> you know, really, really want a bowl of cereal? Let me blow the dust off this milk jug and rip it open. And you smell. It's like eh, it smells a little sour, but maybe that's just the milk that's around the rim. <laughs> and you think like maybe the stuff somehow down in there is better. And then what you do is you just you, you put a little on your tongue, and it's like, hey, is my tongue falling off? No. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's shake it. <laughs> and you shake it because Lord knows shaking kills all bacteria. <laughs> I don't even know why they have fridges when you just shake shit, right? And then you, you you push your cereal out and you pour it on top of your cereal and then the dreaded death clumps arrive. You know, you got that looks like somebody shat some interstellar cottage cheese on your cornflakes and you're like, oh, oh dear. Oh, oh, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> 
it is funny the thing the blokes do. It really is. But you know, oh yeah, no, since I get you it. said that, I was just having just visions of my fridge. So oh yeah, and then you know what you do? You know what you do? This is the saddest thing ever. You're like, fuck it. I'm using some table cream and water. <laughs> that's, what, that's what my plan is. It's like, oh, milk's all clumpy. Fine. First of all, I see if I've got it. I, I actually, when I was younger, I used to like save coffee creamers and shit because I was broke, right? And so I've actually had cereal with like four creamers and milk. <laughs> I have, I have no idea, like why I'm still alive. Like this, this makes not a lot of sense to me. Like the sh- the stuff that I've eaten just because I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, oh, no good. And then, then, then you're like, hey. Shit, the cereal is empty. But maybe some stuff fell in the box outside the, the plastic wrap. Maybe there's something down there. Maybe there's something on the floor. <laughs> maybe this uh, maybe this piece of celery that has the consistency of an old rubber band is going to be somehow safe for me to consume. Celery that's not crunchy. It tastes like gum. I'm sure that's going to be fine. Seriously, for me. man. I mean, it's like I I know I need like I've I've had a housekeeper for years because I just I can't I can't do that kitchen thing because it's just it is that comedy show you're doing now about the celery oh, yeah. is exactly where yeah. I would be. It's just not even a joke. Can I tell you one of the most shameful things? Go on. <laughs> no bread, no butter, some somewhat questionable peanut butter you know the the peanut butter that looks like uh something out of opec you know where it's just got that goo on top that you pretty much feel you could feed into the gas tank of a car and get somewhere useful and then no but then i realized it's like oh you know what i made a piece of toast yesterday i don't think i even ate it oh you reach into the toaster you reach into the toaster and you're like oh good oh that's great look at that bread <laughs> It's going to be pretty chewy. Ah. But if I if I use the oil on top of the peanut butter to goo up the bread, it's going to be kind of fresh because it's lubricated. And then you find out that the best reason for it to be lubricated is so you can shit it out as quickly as humanly possible because your body's like, what are you giving me? Yeah. What are you just eating something you found you under a bus? Why are you alive? <laughs> How is that possible? I'm like, honey, you've got to marry me. I, I don't know why my bachelorhood is trying to kill me. <laughs> but that, you, know, like, that's you survive that. that. You're, you survive that. You're, you're like a superhuman guy. No, I mean, like, you know, you get yourself a housekeeper. They sort that stuff out, and you haven't got to worry about it because otherwise, I would yeah. kill myself. I, I, I may have mentioned being broke. Housekeepers and broke don't often go hand in hand. All right, let me just uh, give you some, uh, some statistics for um, risk of Down syndrome. Um, okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay, are you ready to uh, sew? Do you, do you still have a foreskin? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, fantastic. Good job. Pull it over what? and get a needle and thread. You need to sew this shit closed <laughs> as I read these numbers off. Okay. <laughs> and look, if you need to use a staple gun, it'll hurt, but it'll hurt less than what I'm about to read to you. All right? Don't give me any of this cellophane shit. <laughs> I mean, I need this to be pretty permanent for a while, right? So that if you have an erection, it's going to be unbelievably painful. So just, you know, <laughs> beware. Okay, so mother's age 36, right? Risk of Down syndrome, 1 in 289, right? Okay. 37, 1 in 224. Ooh, did you feel that? Little dip. 38, 1 in 173. Shit. 
39, one in 136. Oh, yeah, that's less than half. In three years, it's gone down. Or you basically more than doubled your risk in three years, four years. 40, one in 106. 41, one in 82. 42, one in 63. 43, one in 49. 44, one in 38. 45, one in 30. This is Down syndrome we're talking about. Down syndrome. Risk of any chromosomal disorder. By 36, it's 1 in 127. It follows pretty much the same pattern. By the time a woman is 45, risk of chromosomal disorders, 1 in 21. This is not... Now, that is, that is some serious life messing up stuff, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're raising a child like that for 20 years, I mean, that's going to... Oh, no, that, that doesn't end. No, because Down syndrome babies, they used to only live to like 20 or 25. They're living into their 40s now. Oh, wow. I mean, you'll, you'll die, and the, this kid will still need resources. And look, I get Down syndrome kids report to be enormously happy, and some people have fantastically rich experiences. I'm not going to pull a Dawkins here. I'm not, you know, but I'm telling you, those are the statistics. Those, that's, the, that's what you're looking at. Well, you don't have to try hard to make a case, mate. Yeah, you don't have to good. try very hard. It's very plain what where we are, isn't it? Right. So she 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 has failed in her goal of having a low risk child, or a low risk pregnancy, or a low risk birth. Plainly, Mike, can you also look up risk of miscarriage uh, in these kinds of age frames, if you don't mind? But listen, man, you don't owe her a baby. You you, you know that, oh. right? You you can't white knight this stuff. I don't care how much she wants a baby. You do not owe it. That is a huge, huge deal, as you know. No. And if there are emotional warning signs, and I mean, even out of all this chromosomal stuff and Down syndrome stuff and all of that, if there are emotional warning signs, and you've known this woman for 17 years, when you say that she can't admit that she's wrong, I believe you. That is a terrible environment to have a kid in. A woman who can't admit that she's wrong. And that you're going to see that kid suffer too from that. Because Jonathan, as you know, having a parent around who can't admit that he or she is wrong. Yeah, It's really, really destructive to a kid. I thought, I thought there was something I was doing wrong or something I was saying wrong. Uh, no, no. That, that's – look. Give women the respect of 100% moral agency. Then we'd never talk to them. <laughs> well, I'm not saying we, don't. Hey, don't put don't put me in that way. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about you and your penis, that's a different. Uh, that's you know, that's a different thing. But uh, uh, don't put me in that. I, I talk to women in this show. I talk to women all the time. I have female friends, and uh, um, come on, man, moral agency. Come on, you know. The- oh, don't tell me you're part of that old joke. You know why? Why did God give women vaginas so that men would talk to them? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know you're talking about if you're going to not open a door for a woman, what's the score? Say you if, don't pick yeah. up the check every time you two have dinner. Say right. you um, decide that she is your equal in everything. Yeah. 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 Then you're a cad. You're a cad. No, no, you're only a cat to a whore. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I mean, if a woman wants you to pay for everything, she wants you to pay for sex. Yeah. She's a whore. Yeah, but we know that. And she's a dishonest whore. 
And we know that too. Because that's like, <laughs> that's like, you know what that's like? That's like me, me inviting you over for a barbecue saying, don't bring anything. And then charging you $400 for a burger after the fact. Yeah, but I mean, right. You know, if, if, if you're going to charge for sex, give me a price list. Yeah, but they're not going to do that, are they? You know, you're driving a Corolla. You're going to get a certain type of girl. You're going to get a certain type of blowjob. True or false? I'm sorry, say that again? If you're driving a Corolla, yeah. you're going to get a certain type of woman, and she's going to give you a certain type of blowjob. Am I right? Now, you don't mean an Adam Corolla. You mean a kind of car, Yes, right? that's right. Okay, is a Corolla a crap car? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you, what, you're going to get lots of teeth, and uh, yeah, she's going to be chewing gum at the same time, and, and uh, listening seconds, to music. And it will last 13 yeah. seconds. And basically, like, she's, she's bobbing for apples with braces on. Okay, there you go. go. And you pull up in a Ferrari, and all of a sudden, she lives on her knees. All right. Now, okay, so, so this, look, this may be women that you're exposed to, and maybe that's the women who are drawn, like, you know, like moths to a flame to a Ferrari. I don't know. But um, that is not, you know, I, look, I get, and I was just talking about man bring resources, women brings uh, fertility and so on, right? But if the woman is giving you a blowjob because you have a Ferrari, she's basically giving the Ferrari a blowjob, and you just happen to be around, yeah, right? Yeah, and I know this. And I know this. Right, so, I wasn't happy to find so, it out, but I know this. Right. Oh, we weren't happy to find it out. Yeah, because guys buy Ferraris because they want to drive fast in England. No autobahns in England as far as I recall, unless they've built something new, unless you're able to sneak in to uh, to the Heathrow Airport on the off hours and open that thing up. Oh, yeah, men buy Ferrari because they really appreciate Italian engineer performance. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was surprised to find that women gave me blowjobs when I had Ferraris. No, no, no. That's in the brochure. It's a pop-up brochure which says you buy a Ferrari, you buy a Ferrari for the way it makes women's lips purr. <laughs> Come on, and, that's, and that is me. the truth. I mean, yeah, of course it is. I had a, I had one girlfriend I was going out with for eighteen months, which is long for me. But then again, she didn't mind my other activities. She had a screaming dicky fit on the forecourt of the car showroom, saying, "You cannot buy that car." Yeah, because she, she knew as soon as you get the car, you're going to be a whore magnet. <laughs> as if I wasn't before. No, but but more, right? Yeah. I mean, you drive out of that car, you're like this, you're like a, a giant industrial magnet over scrap iron factory, like dunk, 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 like pussies just flying and sticking to the crumb, right? <laughs> I mean, she threw a dicky fit. People was people were watching. You need one of those South African cars with, like, the gas jets and flames that come out the side to, to stop you from getting it stolen in the same way to keep the pussy at bay, right? <laughs> I just appreciate Italian engineering. I don't want to probe your tonsils. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, and I understand that. And it happens for men, too, right? I mean, if a woman goes out – I mean, going out in a Ferrari and being surprised at female attention is like a woman – it's like Sofia Vergara going out in Band-Aids and being surprised that men are buying her drinks. Like, it just doesn't – it's just not the way it works, right? You know, you know, if you're advertising that strongly, right? I mean – I mean, can you tell me why this is? Why what is? You know, I mean, supposedly sensible, rational people lose their bloody minds when they see this car. What is that? Oh, come on. 
You don't even need me to answer that question. Well, <laughs> how 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 rational, coherent, and sensible do you stay when in the presence of a sexually attractive woman? Actually, not so bad anymore. Not so. No, but when you were younger, right? Yeah, when I was yeah when I was younger, it was not. Okay, so that, how no, old no, are the women no, attracted no, actually, to this? Now, now that I remember, the first time I saw a drop dead woman, drop dead good looking woman. I wandered into um, Stringfellows in New York, thinking it was like the one we have here. And yeah, I don't know what the, what is Stringfellows there. Stringfellows. You remember, I, I I left when I England when I was eleven, which was slightly prior to my. <laughs> I looked like a bandmate from our hard player days. Okay. Stringfellows here used to be a very very swish nightclub. Very swish. Only the only okay. Up. Swish doesn't mean gay. No. It means fancy. Yeah. Just for everyone really else, right? Okay. I grew up in Hackney, so you hear about it, but you were never allowed in. And yeah. you know, you, you grow up, you make a few quid, and then they let you in. So I, I went in there. It's a great nightclub. I went into the one in New York, and it's a titty bar. I didn't know that. Right. I walked in. A titty bar means a strip bar. Yeah, straight up. Some girl okay. offered me a drink. Starkers, standing there. Starkers means naked. I'm sorry to have to do this train spotting stuff, but uh, it doesn't mean surprised. Okay. So, and that was the first time I saw a drop dead gorgeous woman looking like that, and that did confuse me because I was like, "You're so beautiful. Why are you, why are you naked?" But you know, I've since learned. You know, I've since learned that really, really, really beautiful women are not always very clever. I guess. <laughs> okay. All right, Captain Obvious. Okay, <laughs> take us on your journey of of obvious discoveries, please. And me. then I found out if I fall into something heavy, it hurts. Then the sun is hot, the moon not so much. No, I mean I grew up in East London. I I didn't know. I thought the beautiful women were sophisticated and intelligent. That's you know you you grow up, you go to L.A. and then you find out they're not. But until then, I wasn't right. clear on that. You see Tyra Banks. That's a clever bird, there, isn't it? I I've seen her talk show once. I uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to reserve comment. <laughs> but all right, all right. But no, thank you for your help. Because no, sorry, but women women go nuts over Ferraris because Ferraris mean that you have resources for their eggs, right? Yeah. I don't know if you heard the earlier conversation about bananas for eggs. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, and and there's um, videos on YouTube. I, I've only heard about them, not seen them. Apparently, some guy in a Lamborghini just points at a woman and points at the seat, and quite often the woman will get into the car because it's a Lamborghini. Bloody hell! Was, yeah, you, you try that with a <laughs> with a Lada <laughs> or a Pinto, that, no. <laughs> and you're you're having a a challenge, so to speak, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and you know the worst thing is, of course, having to change the seat leather afterwards. But it's uh, <laughs> It, you know, because women will – because that's like, hey, resources. It's the eggs that are pulling her into the car. She could barely resist it, right? It's the eggs that stick to the Ferrari's chrome. That's the magnet, right? All right. So sensible women will not behave in this way. Is that what you're telling me or is it all women? Sensible women will feel the same pull, but they will recognize that it is not a sensible mating strategy to get into a stranger's car because the car happens to be expensive. It's actually a fairly good strategy if you want to be dismembered – uh, and uh, you know, boiled in lye and flushed down the toilet. Uh, but uh, it's not a sensible mating strategy. See, there's a sexual strategy, and then there's a mating strategy. And a sexual strategy is more short term, which is what you were pursuing with these women. And a mating strategy is, you know, for to to mate, to to get a pair bonded mate, to raise kids, and so on, right? And society is is at war between the mating and the sexing, right? Sex versus 
mating. And of course, the pill and, and all of that, and then the welfare state has disconnected sex from mating to now to the point where short-term spray and pray reproductive strategies are working very well and longer-term repro- – see, the shorter-term reproductive strategies get funded by the state through the welfare state, through you know, a variety of other things. And, and the longer-term pair bonding strategies are taxed uh, to pay for all of the short – so we're, we're funding spray and pray idiots and we are taxing people who actually settle down and, and raise good families. And you know, naturally, this is creating a dystopian nightmare of <laughs> reverse uh, evolution. But um, yeah, so I mean, uh, it, look, I'll never be – quote, wise enough that, you know, if I'm watching Sofia Vergara in a bathing suit, I'm not going to be like, uh, fascinating display of mammalian sexual characteristics, right? I mean, that's just not going to happen because I'm a biological entity. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go jump her bones, right? I mean, it's just, you know, I can I can look at a great piece of art without feeling I have to steal it, right? <laughs> I'm not going out of uh, the Louvre in a heavy overcoat and suspicious squares under my armpits, right? I mean... Can you control that? I mean, I remember you saying... You, Can I control you, my behavior? Is that what you're asking me? No, yes, I, I remember watching behavior. one of your videos where, where this bloke had uh, been a missionary and he'd brought back this young Brazilian wife. And I was like, you know, and you'd said to him, you need to be a little bit more careful because of this 20-year-old bird who jumped on him at work. Uh-huh. You need to be a bit more careful about controlling your sexual urges. And I remember saying, you're having a laugh. How do you... Tell a 22-year-old gorgeous woman, no, we're not going to have sex right now. That's very difficult hey, to do. You just, you just did it. No, we're not going to have sex. And, and not right now. He's married. Good point. But, Which means I, mean, I, would don't never, have sex. I would never have got married in the first place to put myself in that position. But My you're, able, is, look, you're able to say no, right? Now. I, I was, I'm, I'm able to say no now because I'm 48. I couldn't have said no when I was 38. Oh, come on. Of course you could have. <laughs> no, seriously, come on. If, 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 if Olga, the she-wolf of the SS, said, if you touch this woman, I'll cut your balls off, do you think you would have been able to stop yourself? Absolutely. Of course. So it's just a matter of incentives, right? You can stop. Don't tell me you can't. Right? You can stop yourself. You don't want to, though, do you? Look, I mean, how much do you weigh? Uh, 170, 165. 170, 165. Okay. Now, unless you're five feet tall, that's fairly trim, right? Yeah. Do you like cheesecake? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like che- do you eat half a cheesecake? Yeah. Yeah. You could go to that cheesecake factory over over at Marina del Rey. I'll eat the hell out of that place. So how are you not gaining weight? Because I've got a really fast metabolism, and I'm in the gym all the time. Oh, so you exercise like crazy, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Um, so if you were gaining weight, would you cut back on what you ate? Hell yes. Absolutely. Okay. Right. So there's things that you want to eat and you say no. And, uh, you know, there's probably times you don't want to go to the gym or don't want to go to work and you say go to work, right? Go to the gym. So you just, right, you just. Yeah, but these are, these are, I mean, the power of a beautiful young woman to make me into a blithering idiot. I mean, there, there ought to be a law. There really should. And especially the way that women these days in the office... Oh, oh there is. There is a law. It's called, it's called alimony and child support. <laughs> there is a law. There is a law that's supposed to dick smack some sense into a man's dick, uh, which is, uh, yeah. And, and let me give you another law. You ready? Yeah. 
thinking about impregnating a woman in her 40s? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's look at pregnancy loss rate, which is uh, pregnancies that tragically do not come to term, right? If you're under 30, it's 8%. 8% of pregnancies don't come to term, right? 30 to 34, we're at 12%. 35 to 37, 16%. 38 to 39, 22%. 40 to 41, 33%. 42 to 43, 45%. 44 to 46, 60% pregnancy loss rate. And that's at any time between three and six months, is that right? Oh, it can, basically, it's just not coming to term. And, yeah. and not born premature and survivable. So if you're going to get, try and get this woman pregnant 42, 43, she got a 45, even if she gets pregnant, which can take forever at that age, 45% pregnancy loss rate. No, I, th- I think, I think I'm fairly clear that I'm not going to do it, but my next challenge is just being able to go and meet with her and sit down and explain why. You know, so, I mean, why, I feel why, that- well, hang on, hang on. Why, why do you have to explain why? Have you agreed to? We were talking about it. I haven't said, I mean, what? I am supposed to go and visit her at a time when I know that she will be ovulating. We've never, ever had sex, she and I. You're, (laughs) oh my God. Oh, Jonathan. Okay, so you've talked about impregnating her, and would you then talk about staying and raising the child with her? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, see, I don't imagine that I'll ever be able to have a woman in my house because I'm because I'm because I'm a dog. I, I might be a recovering dog who hasn't done very much doggishness for years. But the point is, you know, I'm like any alcoholic looking, you know, into a pub. I know I can fall off the wagon at any moment. And she wants to have <laughs> and she, she wants to have that. a child with a man who won't marry her. And who can go bird dogging anytime? I mean, let's, you know, let's put it in perspective. It's been seven years since the last time I was a hound. No, it's been nine years since the last time I was a hound. So I'm doing okay, but I recognize it is entirely possible. And I wouldn't want to be married and then have, have all that drama on top of it. So wait, would you be monogamous with this woman if you had a child with her? I would try. All right. But that's, so, best, okay. that, but that's the best I could do, and that's what I've told her. So you wouldn't commit to the monogamy. You'd commit to striving towards monogamy. I would commit to raising the child and trying to be monogamous. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I know what I am. I'm not saying I'm going to relapse tomorrow or next week but I know it's a very real possibility. Who the hell wants to live with somebody like that? Right. Right. But she would get your money. Yeah, absolutely. And if you didn't want to give her the money, she would get the money anyway. Yeah, because, you know, there's child support laws, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that anyway. I mean, you know... Raising my two girls was really expensive, but it was a lot of fun. And it was, you know, I think that the reason why it went as well as it did was because I'm absolutely dedicated to it. Right. Long silence. Yeah. I mean, look, if she wants kids and you want a kid, 
you want no. to pay and you know no, no, she's 42 i mean i'll have to if i want a kid i'll have to go younger but obviously yeah I'm, you know i think uh, unless there's some compelling emotional reason like she's just the love of your life um hmm. i would say uh it's uh it's it's risky on on so many different levels and not least because as you know when you have a kid with someone I guess unless they give you complete custody, which I never quite got the answer to earlier, but it doesn't really matter. If you are having a kid with someone, they're in your life forever. Yeah, I, I did get custody of both my girls. And why was that again? Um, because her mum was um, not able to commit to it. I mean... Oh, that's a case- euphemism if ever I've heard one. Well... East London, poor people, there's a different set of rules, Stefan. Um, people don't have the ability or the, or the knowledge to be sensible about a lot of stuff. Oh, here we go. <laughs> no moral agency to women again. Do-do-do-do. Here it's comes not, the white knight saving women from their decisions. It's, it's not just women. I mean, guys I went to school with selling drugs, you know. Um, so they have no moral agency either. No, they There's just no choices. They, I mean, they don't know any different. Bullshit! Oh my god, how condescending can you be? You have to be there, Stefan. Oh come on! Do you think I was raised with a silver spoon up my ass? <laughs> I didn't come. Didn't think I didn't come from a ghetto. Don't 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 tell me I come from some Downton Abbey gold crusted diamond embedded manger. All right, all right. Let's 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 use what you said. Do you remember you were talking to the bloke who was really clever, IQ of one thirty nine, and um, he was talking to people and trying to figure out why he couldn't have a decent conversation. Do you remember that, Kiza? Uh, you've described about a third of the course to the show, so I'm afraid no, I can't. Okay. No, down good. down good. from here. So you've got an IQ of one thirty nine. You walk into the middle of Stepney, and you try to explain to people you really shouldn't be selling that marijuana. You know. You could go and get a job. I mean, how long are you going to live if you do that? Well, so you're saying that they would attack me, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, I get it. So what? So Uh, does that that mean they don't have any choices? It means that they don't have the skills you have. You know, they don't have the software. They might have the hardware, but they don't have the software. Oh, good. Yeah, let's use computer analogies because that really helps in discussions of free will. (laughs) All right. Are you saying they don't have any capacity to improve their lot and they have no capacity to not sell drugs? No, I'm saying that there would need to be programs in place and skilled people in place to teach them. Well, not really. I think drugs would just have to be legalized, right? Because then they wouldn't be able to make fuck all money selling them, right? No, because if you legalize drugs, then then you've got you've you've killed one problem and created another. Because then then you've got ODing people and stoned drivers everywhere. Well, no, I didn't say I didn't say make it legal. I mean, alcohol's legal. It's still not legal to drink and drive, right? Yeah. And you think you don't have stoned drivers anyway? Jesus. <laughs> anyway, look, that, maybe that's a conversation for another another time. But I just uh, uh, I'm willing to grant people no moral agency. Uh, that that's perfectly fine, but they have to have significant brain damage first, and um, if if they have you know, and and then they have to like 
accept that they can't live on their own. They have to be in an assisted living facility. They don't get to vote. You know, I mean, they, they have to not be moral agents. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you on that point, because from my point of view, these people are not prepared to vote. They're not prepared to do certain things. They're not, they're, they're, they actually shouldn't be out in daylight by themselves. I know this. Okay, then we round them up and we put them in facilities and whatever, right? I mean, but then we don't, but don't, you know, then, then you can say, well, these people have no moral agency and they shouldn't be out there tying their own shoes and paying their own rent and buying their own groceries. Yeah, but, but they if they're doing all that other shit, then they got moral agency. And I think that yeah, they are. Why do they have the vote? Why do they have the vote? Because politicians wanted them to have it so that they could bribe them into voting wherever. If yeah, they because, because stupid people are a lot easier to, to manage, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's no accident that Hackney looks the way it does, isn't it? It's no accident that Peckham looks the way that it does. Mm. You know, these people are there for a reason. The underclass has been created for a reason. No. See, then again, you're giving them no moral agency, right? Being created and blah, 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 right? No, I mean, one or two of us can pull our, pull our way out, you know, if, if we're significantly tough enough to do it. But it ain't easy. No, it's not easy, of course. But uh, my concern is that by spraying all of this can't win, don't try shit in the air, you're affecting people's decisions. Oh, no. I mean, I would never say can't win, don't try. But I would. I mean, if you're if you're. Yeah, yeah, actually, 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 no, no, that's kind of where you were going, right? No, you like I say, I would love to see you sit with a room full of 10 year olds in Stepney. And have a conversation with those kids and make sure they learn something. It would be wonderful to see. However, you'd need to be there for 15 years to see the results that you're talking about. And it would need to be somebody as skilled as you. No, but why would I, no, no, but why would I be talking to the kids? Because that's how you let them get out of, out of the ghetto. No, no, you talk to the parents. You talk to the parents. They'll, they'll hit you. You know, let's deal with... No, no. Are you, are you saying... Come on, man. Are you saying that there are no people in those neighborhoods who listen to this show? Oh, I'm certain that they're not listening to this show. I'm certain that they don't understand a word you say. Well, I think you might be surprised at the people who contact me and where they're coming from and how they're living and what they've chosen. But look, I mean, this is an unfair thing because I'm in the privileged position of getting these kinds of messages. And you've left most of that in deep in the rear view, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so it's not particularly an apt uh, conversation because I have information that you don't, which is, and I, I, that sounds snotty, and I don't mean it that way, but. No, no, I, I don't, I mean, I, I've had a situation where someone came to me and said, can you look after my boy? His dad is in Africa somewhere, can you look after my boy? He needs a male role model. So I go and I spend a lot of time with the kid, and I find out that she's infantilizing the boy. Yeah. She went, he's 18, she dresses him like a 12-year-old. She gives him a 12-year-old's pocket money, etc., etc., etc. So I say, hey, what do we do about this situation with your son? Uh-huh. You're treating him as if he's 12, but he's 18. And she got angry. So, <laughs> ang- angry doesn't cover it. Yeah. You know, and I, don't, I don't know that this is true. I put this out merely as a hypothesis. In the past, generally... I shouldn't say generally. In a past, in a lot of situations that I've read about, women took care of the kids until the kids were six or seven, and then they passed to the men. Yeah. And one of the theories in the past was that women were really good at, at raising babies and toddlers, and men were necessary to raise older kids. Yes. 
because of breastfeeding and this and that. So, so women get the kids through the really early stages, and then when it comes time for the kids to be older, then um, you need more of a male influence. I agree. And uh, yeah, again, I don't know what the truth is or behind it, no, but I think it's a very interesting concept, a very sort of interesting idea. That the degree to which single moms infantilize their kids is horrendous. Horrendous. It's like they don't want them to grow up. Because, of course, then the kids, I mean, if the, if the kids grow up, then the single moms will be alone, right? Because they'll be too old, usually for a lot of sexual hijinks, so to speak. And, like, I'm talking if, like, they're the kids when they're 30 or when kids move out when they're, like, when the uh, moms are, like, 50. And it's not like your sexual life is gone at the age of 50, right? Or anything like that. But, uh, it's tougher, right? To, to find dates and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so yeah, there is a lot of infantilization. Moms, in my experience, don't seem to be that good at figuring out when the kid has moved on from a particular phase. They, they often just get kind of stuck. Uh, where, where the kid is, rather than recognizing that the kid is continually developing yeah, so, and growing. So you spend eight or nine hours on four or five separate occasions explaining it to her. You know, like, this is why I say it would be really interesting to see you in that scenario, because you're yeah. obviously a better communicator. But I'm sitting with this woman for eight hours over the course of a weekend trying to explain the concept of infantilization, trying to explain the concept of don't hit him when he's bigger than you because you'll find yourself locked in the bathroom. Yeah. And stuff like that. I'm trying to explain. And she's telling me to get lost. And I, I'm saying it very politely. Right. And right. I'm saying, well, look, I'm trying to talk to you about a subject that you have asked me to get involved in. I can step and it's not an issue, but you're left with the problem that you had three years ago when I got involved. Right. And she's look, uh, I'm not look, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is anecdotes and I, I'm not going to disagree with you. There are some people who act as if they don't have free will. And there are some people who reject the gifts of free will. And there are some people who, at some point, no longer have free will because they have left that muscle so long unexercised that it's atrophied and vanished, so to speak. Mm. But that's the result. I mean, like... If I say to you, well, you know, people can get healthy at any age. People can exercise at any age. And you say, well, what about the guy dying of lung cancer? It's like, well, okay, yes, that guy can't get healthy, but that's because of the decisions he made earlier in life. right? He now doesn't have the choice to get healthy because he chose to smoke for many years. So now he no longer has a choice because he exercised bad choices earlier. And yeah, I mean, this woman may have exercised such bad choices for so long in her life that she no longer has any functional capacity to make good choices. But that's just the effect of free will. That doesn't mean that she never had free will. Even though there was never anyone to fan that flame. What do you mean, never anyone to fan the flame? I mean, Dr. Phil is like the most popular daytime TV show. Yeah, I don't know and, if there's an equivalent and, in England. About, but that's, about, that's mental health resources being beamed into people's houses every single day for free. I mean, my God, I mean, what what prior generations have ever had access to as many mental health resources as people have access to today? Yeah, but that doesn't actually answer the question as to why these people are like that now. Dr. Phil wasn't around until 10 years ago. 
These people have been doing what yeah, they've been before, doing. Yeah, but, no, but before Dr. Phil, there was Oprah and, and there was Donahue and there were other people who were still promoting good mental health practices who had lots of psychologists on. There is, um, I mean, the, the, the resources available since the Internet came out in the 90s, the 80s, really, but until it got big in the 90s, huge amounts of resources out there for mental health. There are free, there's free therapy available to people who, who are under a certain income. There are mental health resources that are a free phone call away. Uh, I mean, the yeah. idea that, that they just don't have any access to anyone who can say or know or do anything better to me is uh, is not valid. You no, can say no. that in the 14th century. I don't know, 21st. It's a little tough to argue. No, I mean, I, I would I would, I would, would say that you have a very, very, very quick wit. You're a very clever bloke. But what you see, I don't think you actually understand that not everybody is as clever as you are. Oh, come on. But they're not. Come on. No, listen, listen, man. I, look, I appreciate what you're saying. I really do. I appreciate what you're saying. But I was not clever when I was younger. I was a mediocre student. I never had any particular professional success when I was younger. I was never like, oh, my God, this guy's outstanding. You know, get him into a gifted program or anything like that. I was not distinguished intellectually when I was younger. I'm not saying I was dumb, and I certainly had some raw horsepower. Would you disagree? Would you disagree with you with the statement that you are exceptional? Would you disagree? I certainly would. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yes, absolutely. But the question is why, and and the answer I've given before is because of philosophy. Look, people, scientists weren't retarded in the 15th century or the 14th century and then got really smart in the 15th century. What happened was there was the scientific method and they actually began applying their intellects in ways that were sustainable and workable and you could build upon them and you could finally determine truth from falsehood in a reliable and repeatable fashion. Doctors weren't like evil until the 20th century and then suddenly became virtuous and wanted to help their patients. It's no medicine. Through science, medicine advanced to the point where doctors could finally start doing more good than harm. Right? So there's a methodology that turns randomness into consistency and coherence. It turns uh, uh, magic into science. It turns scribbles into letters. And it it, it turns impulses into thought. And it turns all of the whirly gig of the randomly oscillating disco graph of the human brain into something that you can build on consistently. The wind can blow rocks into a pattern. A human being can build a wall because the human being has a methodology and a purpose. I was relatively undistinguished when I was young. At the age of 16, I began to read philosophy and things then began to change. So I'm exceptional now because I've put 40,000 hours into philosophy and related disciplines. But it's philosophy fundamentally that has allowed me to harness the raw power of the mind, which I believe lots of people have. And when you see, and I'll give you a, I'll give you a good test for this. And this is useful for you and for other people. If you want to know how smart people are, Talk to a person who's immature and defensive and notice when their defenses come up. Are they ever wrong? No. No. The moment you start 
taking one step down the thousand-mile road that leads to the truth about who they are, up come the blocks, right? They know that whole journey, and they use all of the power of their intellect to block truth, to oppose connection, to oppose reality. They use all of the natural-born genius of their minds to work against the truth. That's how incredibly intelligent they are. They know where that one little step is going to lead. They block that's it not, instinctively. That's not intelligence. That's cunning. That's the cunning. Potato, of potato. Potato, potato. It's still brilliant. And you know this. You spent time around defensive people. I've spent time around defensive people. And when you start, when you start unpacking what might lead to what might lead to challenges for them, they know. They know by the way you walk into the room. They know before you even open your mouth. They know exactly where it's going to lead, and they're blocking you and fogging you. You've heard me in this show trying to get through to people. They're brilliant in what they avoid and what they evade. All of the genius is used in the opposition of truth, and I'm just saying, hey. Flip that mother around. Let's use this genius in the pursuit of truth. And some people will do it, and some people won't. But that's the whole point. It was when people started turning their backs and walking away from me that I knew there was something I didn't know. Right. So when they turned their backs and they walked away from me, I was like, okay, what did I, what did I miss there? So right. I go and I read a book, and then I go and I read another book, and then I go and I read another book. And I start yeah. to get some idea. But the point is, the hunger for knowing why they were walking away, knowing why I wasn't worthy of their attention. This is why I read. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of people in the places I'm talking about either don't have that hunger fanned, or indeed they do what Peck says in his book, they militantly try to protect themselves, mm -hmm. even though... That is against their be their best higher interest. Yeah, it's I don't know about the best higher interest. That's a pretty abstract case to make. No, I mean he wrote a whole book about it. It's called um, Oh Hell, um, People of the Lie, and right. he says that you 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 approach a person. And I'm talking about somebody I know very recently that I just met, and they've got all kinds of problems, and you see they've got all kinds of problems, and you say, "Look, mate." You know, all you need to do here is this. And then they, all the blocks come up. And then you say, okay, I, I can see there's nothing I can do, so you step away. Mm -hmm. Now, at the point of stepping away, I'm doing what I saw other people do. And then I'm the one then going, so what should I do? And they say, read this book. And you read the book. Huh? And then you read another book. Right. And then you find your way out. But what happens if nobody gives them that first book who gave but, you your I mean, look, come on that's that's i mean you could you can take that causal chain all the way back to infinity you know what if there'd never been a russian revolution well then ayn rand would never have written and what if the band rush had never gotten into the ayn rand and then i never would have been given ayn rand and then i never would have started them. i mean you can go that forever right yeah but you see you and but you're you saying that people are passive and if a pinball hits you then you move in the right direction pinballs no. are hitting people all the time you know how many people I've given books on philosophy to? Do you know how many people have listened to the show and said it's crap, it's junk, it's garbage, it's whatever? Do you know how many people I've given the Fountainhead to or Atlas Shrugged who read it or didn't read it or just sat on their shelf and so on? So many times you and I and other people have given people fantastic gifts. 
Now, you and I, we'll, we obviously made the choice to read stuff. Hey, there's some stuff in the fountainhead and out in the strut. It's really difficult, really challenging for me. Plowed through it. And you give people gifts, and some people spit on those gifts. It's like, well, nobody ever gave them a chance. God damn it. The modern world is nothing but chances. It's nothing but opportunities. The amount of information that surrounds people is staggering and unprecedented in history. So why you is can it- go, you can it- go, you can go to the public library for free and access the entirety of human knowledge in some keystrokes and some mouse clicks. I have a library card. You cannot. You walk in there, you get what they've got. That's it. I'm sorry. You order something, you go into the local library, you order something. You know, it can be nine months, ten months, maybe a year before you you, you get it, if you get it at all. No, no, I'm talking about the Internet. There's free Internet access in the library. Ah, There has been for 20 years. Now there is. But, you know, let's when when did we access the Internet on mass? Eight years ago? Nine? No, well, I mean, Internet was available in universities and libraries over 20 years ago. Yeah. And libraries themselves, my God, look throughout history. Do you know how incredibly rare it was for people in the 18th century to get a hold of a book? Stefan, I've been reading my entire life, and there are gaps you could fly a 747 through in my ordinary, everyday knowledge. So? So either I'm really stupid or the information isn't that that, common. No, what are you talking about? I mean, if if you want... Look, let me put it to you this way. The argument that childhood has an effect on adulthood has been around for thousands of years. Yes. Right? Wordsworth, the child, the, the, the child is the father of the man, right? Yes. Uh, from, from Jung and Freud and so on for 150 years. The idea has been around that childhood has an effect on adulthood. In popular culture, self-help books, right? Your erroneous zones, Dr. Wayne Dwyer. I mean, I remember all this shit was, these books were dusty when I was a kid. I mean, Wayne that Dwyer, is almost half a century I mean, ago. Wayne Dwyer. This all came out, and the, they all came out in the fifties and the sixties, no, I mean, in particular Wayne, the sixties. I bought those books. I spent thousands of pounds on those books. A lot of those books are completely useless. If you're looking and you're looking and you're looking, you'll find one or two decent books a year if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. It's not. No, don't this don't massive, get me wrong. I agree with you. that stuff's missing. That's why I'm doing a show. But the idea that people don't have access to uh, to knowledge, to to stuff that's useful and important and helpful. I earn a lot of money, which is why I can do it. I earn a lot of money so I can go and I can buy 10 books and know that all 10 are rubbish and not really give a toss. People on welfare, people on unemployment have a lot more time than you do and free books from the library. You're not going to find Life Lessons by Dr. Phil in the library. You're not going to find it. Uh, yes, you are. Guaranteed. In a British library? I can't imagine why not. <laughs> because they don't have it. And when you ask for it... Wait, I mean, aren't you basically talking through your ass here? I mean, you obviously have not looked for Dr. Phil books in American in British uh, libraries. Actually, I have. You've got to remember, the last six years I've spent... Um, no, the last seven years I was in therapy, which yep. meant that... I couldn't, I was so, when I went into that deep therapy, I was so knackered, so nobbled that I couldn't work. So emotionally buggered that I couldn't get up before 12. 
And yeah. in those days, I had to go to the library if I wanted to read something. Do you see what I mean? I went through a lot, and only after my therapy was over did I feel the power to be able to go and sit behind my desk and make some money. Right. But the, the therapy took it all out of me. I was, you know, from Ferrari to riding the bus. It's only now I'm getting back into, in, in, into driving Ferraris and having fun. Right. I mean, people talk about, oh, you should do some therapy. Mate, it's, it's horrible. Doing therapy is horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and in those days, I know I went to the library. I tried to get this book. I tried, I, you know, I'd save up so I could buy something from Amazon that was used because I needed a fix. And then on a broken computer that I managed to fix, I found your show. And that helped me through the last part of my therapy. Because you were saying stuff that my therapist at £120 an hour wasn't bloody well saying. Imagine that. I find that amazing. Jonathan, I just want to point out a listener did do a quick search and found some Dr. Phil books via the London Public Library. Uh, you can pull up a bunch of All right, I hope books. Up. You got me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you got someone me. in the chat room I, found I'm afraid so. you're talking to a team. Sorry to be annoying. <laughs> really, I'm like no, the only I, guy I, with I Google in the bar books. argument. <laughs> no, but yeah. All right. I can see. I can see. No, look, if it's not Dr. Phil, though, there, I mean, psych, I mean, I remember the psychology book, uh, psychology section in my local library was like a whole wall. Yeah, but most of that stuff's rubbish. You know that. It's not terrible. All right, hang on a second. If you're not teaching somebody the 10 life laws, or you're not teaching them the seven habits, what are you teaching them? Wayne Dyer? Deepak Chopra? I mean, come on. Well, Deepak, Deepak Chopra, I don't think, is classified under psychology. Yeah, Marianne it's classified Williams. under mystical fish wrapping. Thank you, because a lot of it is complete cobblers. And if you haven't got two or three marbles rolling around inside your cranium, you're going to get the wrong idea. You know, there are there are landmark books that actually give you something concrete to stand on. Yeah, no, I... I... I, I mean, I've read a lot of books in psychology, and it's a lot of sand and not a lot of gold. But, oh. but the gold is gold. I mean, for sure. I still remember very vividly the major lessons that I got uh, out of some of that stuff. But uh, no, look, I look, I agree, and I, partly why I'm doing this is I think that the art of self knowledge is something that needs, well, I could say just a little bit of honing uh, in the world. Uh, and I agree with you that people have shitty childhoods. I agree with you that IQ and intelligence has something to do with it, for sure, absolutely. But I am concerned, and the reason, if you and I were having a private discussion, you know, whatever, right? But this is a public discussion, and my concern is that because you're a charismatic and convincing fellow, which is probably one of the reasons you ended up with the Ferrari, and I didn't, but, uh, you know, but we, we actually, I think we have a Ferrari input slot, uh, at fdrurl.com slash donate. Uh, it will, uh, <laughs> uh, it will, <laughs> it will send you over and I'm going to test your magnetic poon theory, uh, for, for the Ferrari. You know, I'll give it back. It may not be quite as clean as when you received it and it may need a liberal dusting with antibiotics, but I am curious. Uh, and of course you can find the input slot. We'll email it to you. Oh shit, what was I saying? But yeah, so, so my concern is that people are out there and if you're like, oh, they don't have a chance or, you know, what chance do they have and so on, 
that uh, there are people out there who uh, I think do need to be reminded that until you're dead, you can change. Good I don't know the alchemy that goes behind change, but until you're actually dead, you can change. And then you do change. You just obviously decompose. But um, I think that there, I, I, I'm very resistant to saying can't win, don't try to people. I'm not saying that's your whole message, but uh, I'm just, I'm very concerned about that. And I, you know, maybe there's places where it's valid, but uh, I have a very difficult time uh, getting, getting to that place. And certainly putting it out as a neighborhood wide generic, uh, I think is uh, basically, uh, you know, throwing, throwing the lid of the coffin over people who might still be breathing. I wouldn't say I'm doing that. It's just that I've traveled a bit. I've seen Watts. I've seen, you know, Harlem. I've seen <coughs> Brooklyn. <gasps> I've seen, I mean, there are ghettos everywhere. You know, you go to Jamaica, there's a ghetto. You go to Africa, there's a ghetto. You go to France, France, Paris, beautiful Paris. There's ghettos there. And these people all have the same looks on their faces. And do you think they have no, uh, no chance? No, I, no. I mean, two or three, ten or fifteen, we'll get we'll get out of there. But you won't get hundreds and thousands and millions moving until we get people who are skilled in there helping them. Well, you know, that's what I'm trying to do too, right? There's a reason why I do like fuck evil shows, right? Because somebody pointed out that you know they like what I do because it's philosophy, but it's not arcane. It's not. What Latin, you do is amazing. Right? What you do is amazing. I mean, you've said things that I've never read in any book, you know, and I'm like, wow. So, I, you know, if I well, that's because that, most books have sane editors. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a filter called sanity between the the author and the audience. But anyway, no, I'd never, I'd never heard peaceful parenting explained in the way that you that you explained it. Never. Right. It's my whole life, I've heard people say, "Oh, you can't, you can't raise children." And you can't beat them. And that, and then I'm like, okay, well, all right, so what do you do if you're not beating them? Right. And I've never heard anybody explain it the way you did. Now, I mean, you do that. They hear that. They will change. But, right. you know, who's, you know, do you have a government grant? I think you bloody well should have. Ugh, yuck. No, thank you. <laughs> no, then I'm facing the government. I always want to be facing the listeners. It's what we keep saying to people. Hey, man, um, why don't you run ads? It's like, because I want to be facing the listeners. I don't want to be in the business of delivering Listeners yeah, to so aren't, I mean, why are there not? I mean, have you seen the dingbats that they have that they give social degree, social work degrees to? Oh, have yes, you seen them? That. You know, I was talking to the to the head of social services, who was head of an area when a little girl starved to death in Tottenham. She was eating out of people's bird baskets, and I spoke to their seventy five thousand pound a year head of services, and I swear to God. I mean, what is going on? Why are they not actually spending any actual money on any actual information? Well, Tottenham, isn't that where the um, the Indian community was preying on the girls as well? Is that Tottenham? I'm not sure if that's true. There's not a very big Indian community in Tottenham. Uh, well, so somewhere, Mike, if you can, sorry to keep pestering you for this, but there was a story in, in England about um, a pedophilia. There was a pedophilia gang that was running for many years. Um, in, those, those guys, those guys, yeah, yeah, that's in Bradford. There's a Bradford. Massive, yeah. Okay, well, that sounds like Tottenham if you're deaf. So uh, <laughs> I just wanted to, uh, to mention to cover my ass that, and you're not facing towards the person who's saying it, uh, and you're blind and it's not typed out and you have no way of determining truth from falsehood. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's another example, right? Where, where pedophiles were preying 
I think for the Indian community, uh, were, were preying on these mostly white girls. This went on for years. Mm. It was yeah, known it was. about for years, but of course, some people were afraid of being called racists for talking about this. So, no, anyway, it does, it does happen. I mean, you they, can, they, 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 they suffer for nothing. They fail, they, and what happens? Their funding gets increased, right? It's like paying sent, kids to not pass a test, you know? Yeah, they just sent 14 Somalians down in Bristol um, for, I think, 40 years for six of them, and the others aren't, haven't been sentenced yet, but they're passing around 12 and 13 year old girls as well. Horrifying, especially as a father of two girls. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, what I did with my girls is they didn't leave school on their own. They had a governess follow them. And I got, you know, they still complain about it to this day. But I tell you, I wasn't having it. They weren't leaving school and walking around with their friends and putting on midriff tops and lipstick. I wasn't having it. So the governesses followed them home, took them to the movies, helped them with their homework. And they hate me for it. At least I know nobody was getting their hands on my 13-year-old UK woman who reported Muslim pedophilia forced into diversity training. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's that, sir? Oh, it's just a headline. The UK woman who reported Muslim pedophilia was forced into diversity training. Uh, I'll get really? you a little bit more on that. Hang on a sec. Um, you must never again refer to Asian men. And your awareness of ethnic issues needs to be raised. This chastisement was given to a UK Home Office researcher who apparently was thought guilty of racism. Her offense? She blew the whistle on a pedophile ring in the English town of Rotherham. Yeah, Rotherham. Yeah. One in which the girl victims were white and the abusers Muslim Pakistanis. Sorry, not Indians, Pakistanis. About 1,400 children were sexually exploited in a northern England town. Uh, between 1997 and 2013 a town of some 250,000. The report described rapes by multiple perpetrators, mainly from Britain's Pakistani community, and how children were trafficked to other towns and cities in the north of England, abducted, beaten, and intimidated. According to the... Uh, so that there were examples of children who had been doused in petrol and threatened with being set alight, threatened with guns, made to brutally witness violent rapes, and threatened that they would be next if they told anyone. Girls as young as 11 were raped by large numbers of male perpetrators. These crimes continued for 16 years, not because authorities were unaware of them, but rather because of an, of an apparent hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil attitude in a government. Colin Hart, the director of the Christian Institute in Newcastle, says social workers warned authorities that something was wrong. Quote, but they continually ignored the concerns that were raised, says Hart. And in one case, a social worker was disciplined for raising concerns. The perpetrators were Pakistanis and political correctness trumped law enforcement actions. Yeah. Uh, and now more details have emerged about the kind of discipline meted out. And they illustrate well why police and other officials were intimidated into silence. And um, yeah, this woman basically uh, was, and you can search this story, of course, but uh, because the uh, perpetrators were uh, Muslims and Pakistani, uh, it was considered racist to do something to protect the white uh, children who were being repeatedly brutalized and raped. Uh, and then political correctness, of course, just another complete cancer on society, courtesy of leftist Marxists who wish to destabilize what's left of Western society. But um, so I just want to sort of mention that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's the leftist Marxists. It's just, just it's the Marx brothers and the, the Keystone cops when you go yeah. into any local authority office. Mm. These people, you know, they really shouldn't be they shouldn't be allowed out in the rain. They're, they're, they're so incompetent. It's not even funny. 
Yes, but at least their competence is valid by their immense pensions and massive expenses. Uh, okay. So, Here's yeah, six of one. Problem. Over here, it's a massive problem. Social services staff, these people earn a lot of money for doing absolutely subtle. Right. Right. All right, my friend, I think we thank have found ourselves to the end. I really want to thank you for the conversation. It was uh, enjoyable and enlightening. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to send you my resume because apparently you just shit gold. Uh, and uh, I want to be I want to be underneath you in the bowl with a butterfly net when it comes sliding out. So uh, I just find that enormously impressive. And since uh, I only judge a man by the size of his wallet, uh, thank you for donating your Ferrari. We will certainly let you know how it goes. Can a Ferrari overcome a bald head? We'll find out on the next installment of I'm on my way to a penicillin clinic. Anyway. Um, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. And um, thanks for all of your support. FDRURL.com slash donate to help out and keep the show alive, baby. Uh, uh, we will talk to you, I guess, Wednesday uh, is our next call-in show. I look forward and await with bated breath, uh, with fish hooks in my throat, with bated breath for our next conversation. Have yourselves a wonderful week. Thanks to all the callers tonight. And thanks, as always, to Mike.